This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Three, two, one, and welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And today I have Jeff Hogue, part two. <laughs> yeah. Welcome well, back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you for having me back. You know, I'm, I'm looking at you. You've got a hoodie on in uh, California. <laughs> what's, what's the temperature out there now? Um, it is, it's a little cold. Uh, it's like, what is it? Like 50 something. Let me check my phone. Uh, I know most people would laugh at that, but <laughs> a, a little, little, a little chilly. He said, Hey, Norway. He said a little chilly. Yeah, yeah, well, actually it's 46 now, which it's is, 46. I know nothing in comparison to what's going on in Norway uh, or okay. any, most parts of the U S right now. So yeah, you can, you can have your hoodie, man. You can wear your hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> you you are in, you are in the city of Los Angeles, right? No. You're outside. No. Of yeah, I'm outside of uh, Los Angeles. I'm in uh, Tribuco Hills or, uh, area, so I'm like just a little south. I'm just right on the border of Irvine. Okay. So technically, I live in Lake Forest, but our area used to be called Tribuco Canyon, and then we got incorporated into Lake Forest. So swallowed up by the urban sprawl. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I hey, guess you could say that. And hey, what's what's going on out there in California? Is it really this mass exodus of people? I'm hearing so many. I, I was just listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. I've heard Bill Burr mention this that people are just leaving California in droves. Are they exaggerating, or is there an element of truth to that? Yeah, there is an element of truth to that. I think it sometimes a little hyped, but there is definitely an element of people that are leaving. Um, you know, there's, there's, and there's a couple kind of like push factors for that. The one is, um, the, the, the pricing, the prices are out of control. Um, especially in like the, uh, Northern California around the Bay, they're really expensive. Um, and here is it's expensive as well, but not as I think drastic as Northern California. But it's bad enough, uh, um, from what I understand. You know, I've been looking into yeah. uh, looking into house flipping and investment in real estate and whatnot. And California is just—I mean, you just kind of, if you're if you're looking to get into that kind of uh, investment, you kind of have to just wipe away any examples from California because it's so much more yeah. expensive than the rest of the country. It's not a—it's not a realistic yeah. view of what it's like to get into the real estate market. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a home, my, my, myself and my wife, we have a home here and then we have a condo that we rent out. Um, but, but moving forward, uh, we're definitely, we're not, cause we were thinking about buying more property, but yeah, we're not, we're not looking at California yeah. because it's so much like, unless we hit the lotto or you're a multimillionaire, that's when you can kind of start playing in that, um, that market. But for the most part, you know, for, I mean, even upper middle class people, I consider myself, you know, upper middle class or, or, or the, maybe the first rung of what you would consider rich. I don't like to yeah. say that, but that, that's, I guess, where I oh, am. Come on, man. Say it. Say it and be proud. <laughs> according, according, yeah, I should be prouder than I am. But uh, according to, you know, the, the IRS and the government. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the taxes are rough. And especially, you know, because t- uh, Trump changed the tax code the way that you could use your house. Right. So That's taxes right. actually got higher for a lot more people in California. Uh, and cause like, I remember last year was like the first time cause we changed the code in like 17. So it was like 18 or 19 was, was actually maybe twice in a row where 
I've had to pay more in federal because like I, I got refunds from the state of California, but I had to pay more in federal taxes at the end of the year. That's interesting. I didn't know that because uh, a lot of Trump support, and this is not going to be a bash Trump episode, but but let's bash him for a second here, because <laughs> uh, you, you hear so much, uh, or we heard so much about um, this being a tax-friendly, or Trump's Trump's uh, uh, time period as president was a tax-friendly period for the average person, but you're saying, at least in California, it was not. You paid yeah, so more federal is, taxes. Yeah, so the thing is, the way that they, when they pushed through his tax cuts through Congress, the way that they structured, which is a part of the why a lot of, I mean, if this was like a minor note, but a lot of the criticism at the time was, hey, the way that you're structuring this new tax bill, people in blue states, because some of the tax credits that they removed primarily affected people in blue states. And the Republicans at the time who controlled both the House and the Senate were, who cares? The people in blue states are not our voters. Do you think right? they did that so, consciously? I think they they did because the thing is I do they, didn't wanna, they, they, they didn't want to blow up the debt too much, right? So they're like, well, somebody has to pay for it. Yeah. And they're like, well, we'll get this, the people in the blue states to pay for it. I so, believe yeah, that. He, I, I believe yeah. that. I believe it was a top-down thing in the Trump administration that they truly had this idea of you know, he, he, he wasn't America's president. He was your president if you liked him, if you followed him, if you were a Republican, well, then he was yeah. your president. And I don't believe that that's me. That's not necessarily how I looked at him as a president, but I think that is his way of thinking. I put that on him. Well, I think it's not just him. I think the thing is, to me, it's not just him. Unfortunately, that's a common thing now in the Republican Party, which actually even to my, to, to, and I don't want to get too far. But, well, but, basically I'm saying but, he didn't give a shit about yeah. you if you were not a Republican. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Well, basically. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's definitely true. But yeah. I think it's not a, like a conspiracy theory or anything like that. No, no. That. I mean, that's yeah. what he was saying. That's what these guys, these guys yes, were exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. And again, I, that, consider, that's, yeah, I don't think yeah. there's any, there's no conspiracy theory and it's not conjecture. I'm just looking at yeah, the facts. I'm hearing facts. his own words <laughs> in his, in his yeah, own I mean, words. Yeah. This is what they, these, these guys had said. You know, they were like, well, you know, they really don't, con I think it's, they don't consider, you know, uh, blue, you know, blue states America. Like they yeah, talk yeah. about, you know, blue state bailouts. And it's like, dude, what happened? Where, I thought we were the United States of America. Right. Not right. like the red states of America. But there's this thing like, you know, well, we don't care. Even when we, the virus started, right, and it was California and New York that were mainly affected, they were like, well, why should our people pay you know, yeah. money into, into the kitty to help people in these states. And it was like, pretty disgusting. It was if, pretty disgusting. People yeah, were almost like, like if, yeah, screw if, those people if, on if, the coast. Let them die. They were laughing. They exactly. were literally laughing at you guys. Yeah. And it's like, well, if communist China had rolled up on the West coast or, you know, September 11th when we got attacked in New York city, nobody said like, no, which to me, it really bothered me. Cause when that happened on September 11th, cause you know, I was, I was 18 at the time. Yeah, I think it was around 18 years old. Like when that happened, a lot of people, there was no Republican set up and said like, well, that's a blue state issue. Like I don't got voters in, the, in, in, in Manhattan, right? Yeah. Nobody said that. Nobody, no. that, that did not cross anyone's mind. Everyone no. was like, dude, we've been attacked in the United States of America and we need to pull together. And this is what we have to do right now. And in the face of a pandemic, you know, Trump is his own character, but I was I was shaken by what a lot of people in Congress were saying because, you know, I at least expected better from them. Like, hey, this is a serious problem. 
you know, yeah, it's not in my state. And that's the other thing that was weird to me during this whole process is like, naturally it's going to spread, man. It's not going to just stay <laughs> in New York city. Yeah. It's just like a liberal yeah. disease that we got going on here. Well, right? I remember when Air it was getting, marks yeah, as well, right? yeah. I remember when it was getting bad in the Pacific Northwest up in, you know, Northern California, Oregon, and especially Washington state. And to hear a conservative talk about COVID at that time, it's like, yeah, this is a cancer upon uh, these uh, these hippie Democrats on the West Coast, and uh, and good luck, guys, you know. And that was kind of the attitude of, of yeah. the whole thing. And it's like that is that is so far from the concept of what America is supposed to be like. It was yeah. for me. For me, it was jaw dropping, and for me to be uh, an expat, you know, looking at this from a distance, it, it, it hurt me to my soul. To see people, maybe I was naive, and, and and it just, but 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 the reality of that division in America it just really hit me right in the forehead. Yeah, I think there's a, unfortunately right now there's a lot of resentment between there is people in the red states and people in the blue states. There and is. I think it's there, and, and it's not just. I will also say it's not just a, a red state issue. I think there's a lot of resentment from the people in the blue states towards people in the red states as well. I think it's a different type of resentment. Yeah, they. And the thing is, the people in the red states have been hurt economically for decades, right? They haven't had the type, same type of investment. They haven't had the same type of opportunity. And I think they're looked down upon, and they can feel that. And they obviously, so those those feelings of, you know, we, we haven't had anybody really, I think, you know, and people are going to upset that I'm saying this, but I think Obama tried to address some of these issues because Obama, I mean, after everyone forgets, but he actually got overwhelming support in 2008 and even to a certain extent in 2012 when he got reelected. I mean, he won a lot of, I mean, he won the Iowa primary. Like, yeah, imagine. You know, Iowa is 95% white. Right? Yeah, think about so it. I don't yeah. think it was, you know, in the beginning, it wasn't necessarily um, uh, a race issue in the beginning. Um, to a certain extent. I think there were elements that were starting there. Well, I think there's certainly certainly a demographic of the Republican Party who took advantage of those people who did resent Obama because of his race. I mean, I think we're seeing seeing their descendants, if we can use that word, today in this this Trump base. Isn't it weird that there's still a Trump base? The guy is gone. He's He's been impeached. He may be convicted. And yeah. there's still a base. There's still a Trump base. Isn't that weird? Well, actually, to me, that makes a lot of sense because um, I think as we can all agree that Trump's not a normal president, right? No. And a lot of his uh, so there were elements for a long time in the Republican in the Republican Party on the fringes, right? Um, people racists, um, people who were nativist, uh, ethnocentrists. Um, you know, a lot of these, I'd say, bad actors, militias, if you will, they were never, I mean, they voted Republican. <laughs> uh, they were associated, just like, you know, on the left, you, you have, and I don't want to just do, I'm not doing it one side or the other, but also on the left, you have people who are extremists. You have environmental terrorists. You have you have literal, literal, literal communists, you know, other people who are on the far left who, you know, they're okay with Antifa using violence, but they vote Democrat, right? It's yeah. the same thing. But for a long time, the Republican Party, they didn't let the crazies run the party, right? Right. right. And they, they said what they needed to say to keep those people at the distance. I mean, obviously, even Ronald Reagan, you know, was just one of the biggest Republican conservatives 
up until Trump, I think, because the party was really molded by him before Trump. Even he, you know, he went on somebody was, you know, he went on national TV and said, "I don't have anything to do with, with the, the Klan. I hate the Klan. They're horrible." You know, it was really black and white. Whereas, you know, uh, Trump, it took two or three iterations <laughs> of him on the camera yeah. to denounce them, right? Yeah. And you know, obviously with Charlottesville. And the thing is, like, those types of people embraced him. And I think the thing is, too, the, the demographics of the country have changed. And Trump is feeding off of grievance politics, right? That going back to what we talked about earlier, these people are hurting. They don't see a way out. They think that other people are getting things that they're not getting. They don't think they're getting a fair shake. And some of that's true. There's some legitimate you know, things in there and he's using that to fuel his movement. And I think a lot of people, as sad as it is, is, unfortunately have kind of given up on America. You hear people say things like, um, well, America's broken. Well, this isn't working, right? And it's like, well, what is, and I love to ask those people, like, well, what is your turn? Well, what is your alternative, right? Yeah. Because people, they want, they want simple answers to complex problems and those simple answers sometimes will get you even more problems or issues than, yeah. you know, it's like something bad happens in your life. You're facing financial ruin, right? You're in a lot of pain. This is the way I, I kind of tend to think about it. The people are in a lot of pain, horrible things that have happened to them. So they start, so they start using meth or some kind of other illicit drugs, or they start drinking because they're <laughs> trying to get rid of the pain. Right. Yeah. So in this case, that's these kinds of, you know, QAnon, crazy theories, white supremacy, whatever it is. Yeah. Right? They're looking for some kind of crutch to explain the situation and to give them a, a, a path out of whatever they're in. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see and this. That brings them to more problems, more issues, and the situation actually for them gets worse. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that's what authoritarianism and, you know, fascism generally leads to. I mean, if you look at Italy, you look at Germany, you look even imperialist Japan, like these countries were in hard places in the thirties wow. or even in the twenties and they had economic problems and there was a guy or people who said, Hey, I got a solution for you. We can make you yeah, strong again. Yeah. Can, and that's why some ass, take some names. And that's why the and comparison. Like, yeah. That's why the comparison between Trump and Mussolini or Trump and Hitler, I believe, is a very legitimate comparison because he did the exact same thing that those uh, dictators did. Uh, I think the only difference is, and we should thank the good Lord for this, is that. You know, people say America is broken. People say it's not working, but it is working because the, 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 the structure, the foundation of our democracy was challenged. It was challenged in a very big and very direct way, but it held up. It held yes, out. It, we're still it here. Did, yeah, it did held up. It did held up. I mean, there were definitely some cracks in the system, but I think that there's some we shouldn't rest assured because oh, I no. think for one is the one of the, the big difference between Hitler and the Nazis and Trump is I think that the Nazis were more sophisticated. Yes, they had a lot yeah. more sophisticated people. Well, Trump, I'll say it straight up. Hitler in general. I'll, I'll say was, it straight up. Trump was, is an idiot. Yeah. Trump is a dumbass. And yeah. that is why he did yeah. not succeed. That's why he didn't succeed in the end. I'll say it straight up. That's really the issue. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far because I wouldn't want to, I, I, I don't want to underestimate him. <laughs> I think he, the problem with him is that he has a certain skill set, right? He does. That his, 
his skill set was the thing that he was really great with was the media. Yeah. And he did have great political insights into these grievances. And the other thing that was an advantage to him, which is that he had no bottom line, right? So for you or me or most other politicians, like, so for instance, um, you know, in 2008 with John Kerry, right? Or not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not John Kerry, John McCain. When John McCain ran, right, there was a woman kind of famous now who stood up who tried to say, you know, Barack Obama's, yes. a, you know, he's a Muslim. She started saying all this, right? And obviously John McCain, even if you didn't like his economic policies or, or somebody like Ronald Reagan, you didn't like his, you know, you, you didn't agree with his standard philosophy, right? Which was the philosophy of the Republican party. A lot of Republicans were not going to tolerate any kind of this racism or anything else. Right. I mean, and they, especially overt, I mean, you could yeah. say that certain things weren't right, that they right. did policy wise, but the overt, but overt racism didn't of exist at that racism, point. That wasn't going to happen. Not in the top. And, you know, Not in the top of the up, Yeah, John McCain, that woman came up, he was like, nope, stop this out right now. We're not doing this. And he went over and said that Barack Obama was a great I mean, you you, you don't ever hear that. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. In the middle of a campaign. Yeah. That, you, you know, know what? My opponent's a great person, but he just doesn't, you know. And that was, I mean, those were classic kind of conservative politics. And the thing is, like, I don't, that's why I don't like kind of referring to um, Trump supporters or Trump kind of politics as conservatives because it's not it's not really conservatism. No, no. And it's you know because when we say that that's kind of conservatism to a certain degree, it kind of legitimizes that well, because it's very different. Even if I was talking to a Trump supporter, I would say the same thing. Obviously, American politics and what the Republican Party has become is very different than what it was 10, 12 years ago. Well, let's ago. talk about that for a second, because um, going back to Reagan, I was old enough, you know, I'm, you know, 17, 18 years old in, uh, uh, let's say in 1987, 88, I was 17, 18 years old. I was old enough to follow what was happening in politics. And there was not this element of um, accepting racism at the top of the Republican Party at that time, whereas now there is. And if we fast forward from the 80s under Reagan to the current time under Trump, what, would you say that the Democratic Party has dropped the ball? Because to go from Reagan to Trump, that's a long process. And there's been signs that things have been getting a little bit out of the control, out of control, a little bit more. Uh, racist, a little bit more fascist at the top mm -hmm. of the Republican Party. And Democrats kind of let that happen. Why Why should the Republican Party be the party that at least appears to be there for the common man in America? I, I, I think the Democrats dropped the ball. They lost a great opportunity to be, yeah, a, a, a liberal-leaning party, um, uh, even a quasi-socialist party, but they could have used that quasi-socialism to front their case in such a way that it would be appealing to that poor white Appalachian person, you know, to that white factory worker who lost his job. I say the Democrats have really, really dropped the ball. Yeah, I think they, there is some, I think a lot of things, I think there's a, a lot of elements went into us getting here. I think the Democratic Party also holds a certain responsibility from what you described, you know, from the economic kind of standpoint. And I grew up in Buffalo, you know, in during in the late eighties, the nineties, early two thousands when, 
factories were closing, yeah. people were losing their jobs, and yeah. this wasn't just like a Buffalo issue, you know, Pittsburgh, all those I mean, all those states that ended up going for Trump, that's where that was all happening in the Rust Belt, right? Yep. Northeast and Ohio, he, Cleveland, yep. Akron. Cleveland, yep. yep. Youngstown. The whole Great Lakes yep. area, yep. right? And we were losing our manufacturing power and because, you know, because of globalization and some guy on Wall Street and, you know, people in the Hamptons and out here and the West Coast were making a lot of money and their spreadsheet said that globalization looked great, right? And everyone was happy. Well, minus the people that were losing their jobs, but who cares about them, right? Yeah. And I think the Democratic Party made the decision that they were going to focus on um, like race and identity issues, right? And I know this is a standard kind of conservative trope, but I think there's a there's definitely an element of truth. In sure there because is, sure. Those types of things, right, like a because from a political point of view, like making sure that African-Americans like aren't killed by the police or those, you know, talking about they're important, right? Racial rights and everything else. I think they were like, you know, this is easier for us to achieve these types of things than it is to change these broad economic factors, right? Of what's happening in America. And by the way, we're also making money and a lot of us are doing good as well. Right. So we don't want to step. And of course, you know, this is, you know, socialism at this point had been discredited, right? Because we're, you know, the Soviet Union fell, everyone's making money. You know, they don't we're like, we're, you know, we're not going to stand in the way of this, right? This yeah. is, seems like it's the future. Whereas we had to read in school, Francis Fukuyama, it's the end of history, right? Yeah. So they were like, this is just economics. This is just what's going to happen. And they didn't take care of these people. And now, because you know, these people got crushed economically now for a couple of generations. They become embittered. They become, they're looking for a new voice, right? Because, and they're willing, they become more extremists because like when you're hungry or you're desperate, right? And I think, you know, I've been at point, you know, you know, right after I graduated from college, I was, when I, we talked last time when I first moved out here, it was hard for me to find a job. I had to yeah. do anything and I ended up, you know, getting some low level sales job, right? Yeah. Now, you know, people, you know, when you haven't eaten for a couple of days or you're, you know, you don't have many prospects and you got these people, you know, and then the other thing is obviously we've been going through these kind of unfortunate culture wars. We haven't, the Democrats, they didn't really come out with a message and people on the left in general, they didn't come out with a message to, they didn't emphasize the importance of America, us coming together as one country. They kind of lost that and they, they looked at, um, and there were legitimate problems with our history, right? They look at issues, obviously, slavery, Jim Crow, um, all these other issues, right? Which um, there's a philosopher, I'm trying to remember his, his name. He talks about this a lot, but he talks about, he's in Plato's Republic, and I don't know how familiar people are with Plato's Republic. I know I'm going off on a deep end here in philosophy, but <laughs> in Plato's Republic, he, they talk about the noble lie, right? You, you have to have, some kind of, and for a long time, America had a noble lie that, you know, we were this free society and that everyone was trying to work together and that, you know, liberty and justice for all. And of course, that, <laughs> if you look at the details, <laughs> that's not exactly how the system played off. Exactly. But we at least, at least we gave it rhetoric and we were trying to live up to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people on the left exposed a lot of that. They blew a lot of that up. But the consequences of that was, well, if we don't have all that in common, then what do we have? 
right? So then the question is, how do you pull everyone back together to kind of work as a team? Because when you like, so for instance, um, do you think Joe Biden? Like, do you think Joe Biden uh, is doing that? Is Joe Biden pulling us together? He certainly has a different, uh, j- just the way he's speaking to us <laughs> yeah. on a daily basis, and the and what he is saying and how he is saying it. Do you think that that is the beginning of a new American unity? I think it's yeah. I think it's a step in the right direction. I will have to see how it. it it, will it last? It cut, will it last? I think, but the thing is, though, I think we're not going to get out of this in like two or three years or four years. I think we, I mean, the Republican Party has ceased to exist for all practical purposes. What we have now, there's elements that are left um, that are trying to do the right thing, that are trying to bring that party back um, from the abyss. But I think it's more or less, a, you know, it's a cult of personality around one man. Oh, and I don't absolutely. think I'm being hyperbolic and saying I that. don't think I mean, so either. Marjorie Green, a member of Congress, stood out there and said, this is Donald Trump's uh, party. And, you know, you have, I'd say, at least 30 to 40 percent of the population that believes that that the election has been stolen and that they have bought into this philosophy or philosophies. And it's going to take a long time to get us back to where we were and rebuild those bridges. And I think that Unfortunately, it's going to fall upon the Democratic Party to do a lot of the heavy lifting, and they're going to have to be a more center of the road, even center right. And I know many people on the hate and the left are going to hate them. I'm going to say they're going to have to be more of a center right party because they're going to have people in there from the center right. Yes. Because you, if you don't have those people, the danger now is if you don't have people from the center right and you, they are going to be a vote for you in the party, you we're going to lose control and we're going to lose these well, people again. Here's, here's what I think may be happening. Um, unless the Democratic Party opens its eyes and, and opens its arms also to embrace yeah. some of these people who are former Republicans or current Republicans who are dissatisfied, dissatisfied with the remnants of the Republican party. If the Democrat party vocalizes its message properly, they can bring these people in. Yeah. They can welcome these people into yeah. the fold, into the democratic party. And there can party. be an even greater majority. You know, they have the majority in Congress big question mark whether or not that majority will continue at the next midterm election. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're hanging on by a very thin thread. Uh, thank goodness we have uh, a Democratic president and vice president so that they have this, this uh, let's call it a majority in, in the Senate. Uh, yeah. But it's too close for comfort. Uh, and yeah. I'm not, and I'm not, uh, I would not label myself a, a Democrat. Uh, but I am certainly I, I am I am light years away from the 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 Republican Party's way of yeah. of doing politics. Uh, I'm quite quite close to the Democratic way of doing politics in America. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think people like me, um, we're we're waiting. We want to see what is the Democratic Party going to yeah. do. Are they going to drop the ball again like they did over the last fifteen twenty years? And they they they're, they're I, I think they stand to lose a lot of credibility based upon what they do and don't do just over the next year. Let's say up until the next midterm election, they stand to lose a lot of credibility. Yeah, I think we'll look at, I think they have a very hard task in front of them. And I think, like we said, a bringing in these white voters who have been disenfranchised. And, you know, that's the thing is, too, I mean, the, the white population in the United States, um, 
the white population in the United States, I'm sorry, my battery's running low for some reason. Um, let me grab some uh, a cord real quick. Okay, yeah, uh, sure, sure. Should grab a power cord. The, the uh, white population in the United States still makes up like, um, so over 60%, right? So they're going to have to do something about that. They, yes. they can't just um, say uh, that, you know, let, let that go without some kind of, you know, they have to address those people. And many of those people were Obama voters in yes. um, 2008 and 2012. I, I know one, I know a couple, matter of fact, former Democrats who were Obama voters who are now like big time Trump supporters wow. who are like, you know, saying all kinds of crazy stuff uh, online, right? Who are hardcore, you know, Trump supporters. And, you know, it's just it's scary because I'm like, you know, what happened to you, right? <laughs> um, where I'm like, you know, it's, I remember when you were voting for Obama and you were telling me, because I, I myself was a Republican for a long time, uh -huh. and now I don't associate anything whatsoever with that party. And I'm just like, cause it, to me, it's become very, very authoritarian. And I'm like, this isn't, this is, you know, it's not, it's anti-democratic. Like well, I think it's frightening. It's not pushing. just, yeah, it it, they're not just a it little off. They're not just a little crazy. It's batshit crazy, uh, frightening. It's terrifying that there's people like oh, that yeah. at the top of our government. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, when they, you know, these people are, you know, storming the Capitol, they're carrying giant flags. I mean, we've never in America had, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go out and buy swag with the guy's name across it. I mean, a little bit here and there, you might see some people, yeah. but even with those people, it was like more of a joke, right? Yeah. Like you didn't yeah. see people like with a full on Nixon, uh, you know, <laughs> outfit or, or yeah. even Obama. And like, even around here in orange County, I remember before the election, you, there were all these little stands around that they would just be selling merch, Trump merchandise. Right, shirts and flags and everything else, and uh, a lot of this stuff. And the thing is, too, I I, I study a lot about fascism and Nazism and and you know authoritarian yeah. regimes and how they operate and how they think, and the parallels were just scary because especially you know I, I mean we talk about you know, authoritarian government or especially you should say not necessarily authoritarian per se, but um. Fascism is very much based on ideas around romanticism and grievance, and you have this belief that there was at one point this utopian society, and somehow we fell or we were stabbed in the pack, we were betrayed, you know, and these kinds of ideas are so, like, they're just percolating all over, you know, the Republican, the Republican Party right now or the remnants of that of said party. And I don't, again, I, I think many of the original Republicans were chased out you had all these people kind of that were across the country and, you know, Donald Trump just started to this foghorn that he just kept on loosing. Yeah. And these people had these grievances and they came together and it was like, you know, he has these rallies like it's the thirties, right? Well, you know, and, and I, I call, know, I call him an idiot. I call him an idiot and a bonehead and all this stuff, but he does have some sort of, um, <sighs> 
some sort of primal savvy where he knows. I think I might have lost you. I think I might have to call you back. I can't oh, yeah. hear your sound. You can't hear me. That's not good. Let's try this again. I'll call you back. Huh. You hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. I lost you there for a moment. There we I don't go. Know what happened? Okay. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, I, you know, I called Trump a pinhead and an idiot and this, that, and the other. But he does has he does have a certain amount of savvy. He knows what to say and how to say it in order to grab the following that he that he does have. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll give him that. Um, I guess the sad part is that people fall for it. Um, yeah. They don't see the con in what he is doing. And I, it just fascinates me that that's, that's the case because other people can see it clearly that this man is just a trickster. He's a opportunist. Uh, he's not sincere. Um, it's all about the grift. It's all about the scam. And yet there are millions of people who don't see it that way. It's, it's such a polarizing thing to observe. Quite fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because those people, I think to a certain extent it goes part of his desperation, but I also think that, you know, these people, um, you know, there's also problems there's, you know, there's long, there's long standing problems with our education system, the way that we're educating people, the way that, you know, they understand history. Um, there's obviously we, we have a, a lot of Americans don't understand civics. They, they don't, they, they just don't understand how our government works. Right. And they don't understand the concept of democracy of like give and take and, you know, compromise like you're like, you know, they, and the thing is too, I think our sports or I'm sorry, our politics has been made into a sport. Yeah. Right. So they see it as a zero sum kind of game where, right. Uh, my side has to win and the other side has to lose that. And that's not, <laughs> that's not democracy. I mean, that, that happens during election. That's the only time that really happens is during elections, right? Where you have, yeah. and it, that's not, and that but during Trump's, a, even but during day, Trump's your run, side loses forever. Yeah. But during Trump's run, everybody is looking to make the other side lose. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not even, um, it's a, every vote is a end of the world kind of situation if we don't win it's you know our sides we're going to be destroyed right like yeah. america is going to cease to exist like you know uh you know some of the things they were saying were just so outlandishly false like, like come on dude joe biden is going to bring in the socialist america the socialist states of america like you know, it's like, I, you know, and the thing is, like, this was supposed to happen under Obama. Remember, all yeah. everyone was saying this was going to happen under Obama. So it's not, it's, you know, it's. Did you see so the CNN? I, did you see mm -hmm. the CNN interview with a lady who is a admitted QAnon uh, conspiracy follower who said that she truly and honestly believed that the day Biden was elected, he was going to, I don't know, put in a phone call to China and have China come over and take over the Western half of the United States. And it's like, I, I did not see that, but I oh can believe my it. God. Yeah. And she said, and then when that didn't happen, she said that she believed that Trump had some sort of master plan. And as everyone is watching the inauguration on TV, all of a sudden troops were going to come down. 
I don't know, uh, out of the sky in parachutes and arrest Biden and, and Harris and everybody and make things right. And this lady is on CNN being interviewed saying that this is what she believed. And it's like, you know, we, we, we see things online and we hear things that people believe this, that, and the other about QAnon. But to actually see someone stand straight and look in the camera and vocalize their belief in these different crazy conspiracy theories. It's fascinating and also terrifying because there are a significant amount of Americans who believe these things. Yeah. And and you you were talking about, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Cause I think the thing is it goes back to education. I think it's the thing is like people don't, um, they don't understand valid sources versus invalid sources. Right. And, 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 you know, the thing is they, they, if I told them I had an article from the New York times, they'd be like, Oh, I don't trust that it's corrupt. Blah, blah, blah. It's the New York times. Right. But, but I'm like, you know, the thing is they, they forget is obviously New York times has fact checkers. They have editorial boards. They have, there's a lot more, has the New York times reported false stories. Yes. Has, does New York side have a specific slant? Yes. But the New York times as a organization has a lot more should in your mind have a lot more credibility as a news source right. than a post on Reddit. You don't know who this guy is. But how do we get people what can be done to get people back away to back away from that line of thinking? Uh, the, the the total rejection of fact, the total rejection of reputable you know, you don't have to like the slant of CNN. Yeah. But I always I always I mean, it just blows my mind that people can compare CNN to Fox News. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, like, they need to. I mean, you, you, you if they have to honestly. Well, I see the thing is, Fox News is as a news source, they are more sophisticated and at least more truthful than Reddit or Alex Jones That's or some right. of these others. That's true. Right. I, Obviously, Fox News definitely has a bias, or they report some things and not other things. But that also happens with CNN, and I, I would say that. But CNN, they but, are, but C- they CNN, are, I just have to break in here. CNN doesn't give uh, a microphone or a platform to QAnon conspiracy theorists, but Fox yeah. News does. Yeah, but and to me, that delegitimize that to me mm-hmm. that delegitimizes anything that Fox News can stand for, if they have the goal to give people like that a platform. I, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And this has nothing to do with free speech. If those people mm-hmm. want to say what they want to say, they can say it wherever they want to say it. I'm just saying, I don't understand why uh, Fox news would delegitimize themselves by giving those people a platform. I don't understand. Well, that. not, I, I kind of understand now because of, well, so, so Fox news and especially all news channels to a certain degree, their number one thing is obviously they want to they want to get ratings, right? Sure, they they want to make sure, money, sure. And you know, the more salacious stuff, unfortunately, is more popular, right? They're going to get more views, you're going to get more listens. The crazier it is, right? That's why if you look at their talk show lineup, I mean, you don't have somebody like Walter Cronkite there, <laughs> who's doing like top edge journalism, yeah. who's really diving in to try to understand an issue, right? You what you have is a bunch of people who are talk they're, they're it's pretty much talk radio but it's obviously televised yes. right and they're yeah. going to give you all kinds of crazy and, and it's very outrageous right so they try to find um oh so, okay for instance obama didn't wear his suit jacket in the oval office yeah. right yeah. 
Now, I understand, yeah, you know, Obama probably should have wore a suit jacket in the Oval Office. That was a tradition that all presidents did, right? Does that mean yeah, that but the doing shit and <laughs> the world falling apart and we're in a American right. carnage? No, right. it's like, you know, like there, you need to calibrate to a certain extent. And like, yeah. you know, like, oh, they're going to say, well, not enough people are saying Merry Christmas anymore, whatever it is. Yeah. Like they're, they're literally just trying to get a rise out sure. of people. They're trying to get people upset. Yes. And I don't see the value in that. No, I don't either. informing people no. about... <laughs> What's going on? You're like well, a glorified tabloid. Well, and it always makes me laugh because when they talked about uh, Obama not wearing a suit jacket or Obama putting his feet up on the desk in the Oval Office, uh, they should have in the same breath mentioned that Lyndon B. Johnson was known for not even wearing pants when he, was, true. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah, he was sitting true. behind I mean, the desk. So that is very true. You know, in the tan wow. suit, in the tan suit thing, you know, you go back to the eighties, oh, yeah, go, go to the eighties when Reagan was president, he very often wore a tan suit. So, so yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. they try to it's sensationalize, tan, yeah. they try to sensationalize this otherness about um, Obama or the otherness of some of the Muslim uh, representatives that we, the female Muslim representatives that we have in Congress and things like that. And when they do things like that, of course, CNN has a slant, but CNN is not evil. CNN is not trying to hurt people. Uh, Fox News, well, to me, they I, it seems like there yeah. is an intentional evil thread in their so-called reporting. Yeah. Well, I would say that, I mean, to be fair, I would say that um, CNN, I don't think CNN is intentionally trying to hurt people, but I think some of the glib ways they come off and they identify people, especially in flyover country, or they don't address their concerns, they inadvertently hurt those people sometimes, or they don't take those people's concerns um as seriously as they would take other populations concerned, right? I think that is like you, you, we can't overlook some of those blind spots on CNN, right? And that's why, I mean, the thing is, too, that people should realize you, you should never just get your source of news from one outlet. Amen. Right? Say it for the people. Say, say it for the people in the back. You, that is so important. You yeah. know, read read a variety of, of papers, right? Yes. Read the New York Times, read the Wall Street Journal, the London Times, the BBC, right? There are a number of online sources for, for, for good information, right? Yeah. Watch CNN, watch MSNBC, watch Fox News, right? Be a well-rounded person. It's just like a diet, right? You wouldn't just want to eat cabbage all day, right? <laughs> yeah, cabbage is good for you. But it's not going to give you all the essential vitamins and minerals to live a healthy life. And I think the same thing is with your information, okay. right? And, and judge that information in relative to the other information sources, right? If you're reading all those other papers and you're watching those news sources and then you go to some thing on QAnon, I would believe that you're probably less – I don't have the facts around this, but I would be willing to bet you're less likely to be – influenced by that, that type of rhetoric yeah. if you are consuming 
other news sources because you're saying, well, this doesn't make sense. It yeah. doesn't add up. I but, understand what these other policies are. This is a lie. This didn't happen this way, yeah. right? And you're less likely to get pulled into these cons. Well, I get the impression, and I don't know this to be a fact, but I get the impression from things I've seen and read that a lot of QAnon supporters are people who, before QAnon, these people were never interested in in watching the news or reading a newspaper or checking anything online. There's just something about the sensationalism of these conspiracy theories that grabbed these people. And this is their first, this is their first exposure to, and I put it in air quotes, news. This is their first exposure. Scary, frightening, very frightening. Well, I think a lot of these people weren't involved in politics before. I mean, we, we had a, I mean, if you look at the 90s and even into the 2000s, even we had the war on terror right before 2008, I would say, you, most Americans could just, you could really be checked out of politics and live a good life and be fine, right? And, yep. and just have your social little social circle of friends and go on vacation or whatever, and you'd be okay. And I think in 2008, that stopped happening. And I think, obviously, a lot of people got hurt because of that. And I think we came back out of that out of that recession, but a lot of people got destroyed. Yes, right. A lot of people ended up homeless. Um, a lot of I mean, people on Wall Street came back. Other people came back. People in my industry, tech industry, we we were doing great, right? But a lot of the country was not doing great. And I think Obama or Trump really spoke to those people about what was going on and. You know, the Democratic message from Hillary Clinton was like, oh, well, everything's fine. We're achieving social justice. Right. Don't worry about it. White people, you got white privilege. Right. And that, you know, horrible message, horrible message. People who are living in the Appalachians or these people who are living, you know, in burnt out areas of Cleveland, you know, they're not they're not feeling that white privilege. (laughs) They're not getting checks. Right. They're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And they are just like, okay, well, this system is not benefiting me. This is not, this is, you know, I'm not doing my, my kids are going to be poorer than they were before. And then you have a guy who's like, Hey, I'm going to bring it back to the 1970s. I'm going to hit rewind. You're going to get, you're going to get all these things back. This is going to be great. You know, what, you know, what what do they have to, at that point, what do they have to lose by voting for this guy? What, What do they have to lose by investing in these, um, you know, in these ideas. It's so interesting how that very idea of rolling things back to the 70s or earlier is something that can be attractive to a white person, but a, me as a black guy, it sends chills down my spine because I can go back to my childhood in the 70s when I was told uh, I wasn't welcome at the local uh, pool. Yeah. Uh, we don't want you here. Uh well, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. You know, so, so there's there's this there's this element of us, not not necessarily us versus them, but us and them, and and I'm I'm hoping I don't know maybe I'm naive maybe I'm just seeing, you know, roses falling from the sky, but I I feel like a door is open now with the Biden administration. A door is open that can lead to a better unity, a more real unity a factual unity am i wrong it's early it's very early it's very early but i guess i'm combining biden's rhetoric so far um um his rhetoric uh some of these executive orders that he has signed 
Um, and the weariness of America because we're tired after these four years of division, uh, these four years of amplifying racist elements that we've had under Trump. I think people mm-hmm. really want to gravitate to a new unity. Am I wrong? I, I'm not I crazy. Am people, I? I'm not crazy no, for thinking I see, that. I, I see those people, those people exist. My concern is you have, you have those people who, mm-hmm. who are kind of like in the center myself, you, I think, you know, um, president Biden, other people who are trying, we want to like bring it back to, I guess I want to go back to 2000. <laughs> I, I always just, you know, I, I guess I want to go back to 2000 or, yeah. or 2005, right? Like, yeah, right around there. I'm just trying to, I mean, I, you know, that that's where I'm trying to get back to. But we, we have other elements in this country that I think, especially, so now we have, like I said, we, we have these elements that have taken over the Republican party who they really want an authoritarian government, right? They, they want to have, you know, president, you know, president Trump for life. And, you know, the, the Congress becomes a rubber stamp organization for only ceremonial purposes. And we have this kind of, you know, the dictatorial kind of state, right? So there's those people out there who really are like, you know, this hasn't worked, you know, this is what we need to do. And then you have people on the left, you know, who are like, we a revolution, you know, we, you know, that this, if the system's not working anymore, we want to, you know, they want to get rid of the things like the filibuster and all these other things that kind of concern me because I understand, like, so for instance, just take this filibuster real quick. I understand, understand their concerns that they can't get their, again, they're saying we can't get our agenda passed and we need to change the rules. We need to change the structure, right? But that, but I think what they don't remember is once you change the structure, once you change the rule, that cuts both ways. It swings around. Right? Yep. And yep. yeah. And what helps you is, today will hurt you tomorrow. You, they have to remember is demographically, the Republicans have a natural built-in advantage when it comes to the Senate. Right. Yeah. And if you decide you're going to blow up the filibuster, well, when they, those guys come back in and they, there's a pretty good mathematical chance they're going to come back into power, they're only going to need 51 votes to change things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Civil rights is gone. All these other things that are gone. The things you like now, child parenthood is gone. Gun laws. Gone, you said civil gone. rights. You said civil rights would be gone. Do you think civil rights would be gone? To quote you, and yeah. if they are gone, what elements of civil rights do you think will disappear? Let's 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 talk about racism in America today. Yeah, we should talk about that because it has been why I want to talk to you about because yeah. because there has been a um, an evolution of racism. Uh, you know, racism in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid is not what racism is today. Or is it? <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah. So racism so the thing is, I think to remember is that racism is a social construct. Um, now, but as a social construct, racism is very powerful. It's very strong, right? So, because the thing is, it seems kind of hollow when you say racism doesn't. It, it's make-believe. And it is to a certain extent. But it's like cash money, right? Yeah. That's how racism operates. Yeah, pieces of paper who have dead presidents or leaders on it or whatever else that says it's $5. Me and you only respect that it's $5 because we have agreed. And we grew up in a society that says that's $5, right? But if our society fell apart tomorrow, that would just be a piece of paper. Right. But that piece of paper controls our life, right? 
war on those numbers on a computer screen. It's all make believe, right? Money is to a certain extent. It's an agreed upon value of of, of uh, value, right? Or of exchange, and it that structures your whole life. Either you know, if I have you know a six figure bank account, I'm living in a nice home. I'm doing good. If I don't, I'm living in a cardboard box underneath the bridge, right? And I say that because. I don't want to undervalue the power of racism or this social construct, right? So I want to kind of give an analogy. So that being said, social constructs change over time. Who is, and they have changed significantly over time, who is considered white and who is not considered white is, is fluctuates and how societies have organized themselves around racist principles or things of that nature have changed and they will can change. So I think, you know, on some level things in the United States haven't changed right since the seventies and eighties, you still have those people, you still have those ideas, but on some level they have, they, they have changed. So for instance, we talked earlier about obviously the Republican party or politics in general. And I remember when I was a boy in the eighties, if somebody said you were racist, that was a really bad thing, yes. right? Oh, People yeah. were ashamed, yes. right? That was something you, and it, I think I agree to this day, if you're a racist, that should be something that you should be ashamed of. Yeah. But I think now racism is much more, it's, it's, it's vogue. It's like back with, <laughs> you know, I've heard people say racist things on the radio. I've heard people say racist things in my own life. And it's like, it's like shit, man. Like I, you know, I, you you can't say that, man. Like there used to be a time where people, even with, even people who thought it, yeah. wouldn't say it out loud because they were afraid of the social repercussions, and they knew that. So, it was so wrong. what made it okay to come out and 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 be that way now? I think Trump really made it okay yes, because I think to to a certain extent, when he came <laughs> down that elevator and he said that Mexicans were drug dealers and rapists, and I suppose the a few of them of are good people, right? Oh, the racists were like, oh my God, like he just came out and said it. And then I think it wasn't just that incident. I think it was the follow-up interview. I remember with um, Anderson Cooper, right? He interviewed Trump, and he was like, do you want to retract your statement? Do you want to... <laughs> I remember it. that. We know you're new to politics. Maybe you didn't mean it the way he you gave him every to chance to back out of that. Yeah. And so I think Trump was like, I think many other politicians, because I, I heard, you know, Jeb, or not, yeah, Jeb Bush and somebody else who's they were, they were running for president at the time, they were like, oh, he's done. Game over, right? He's stuck in it. Because remember, Mitt Romney got in trouble only four years before that for saying that. 47% of the, of the population yes. is dependent on the government yeah. and which now is so like meek and mild, like, yeah. Oh my God, remember? Yeah. Yeah. And they nailed him to the cross for this. This guy <laughs> comes down the elevator and I was like, yeah. But the thing is that he understood was, you know, if you never apologize and you just, and I understand that from sales sometimes, if you don't apologize and you just stick with it, sometimes people respect you more. And I think, he just told Anderson Cooper, Anderson Cooper was in shock. And you're right. I saw he that yeah. like three or four times. Yeah. And he was just like, Nope, that's what it is. And they're like, he was like, Oh my God. Right. And he did not, he did not let off of that. He, he made people, a lot of friends. He made a lot of friends that day. Oh yeah. <laughs> and people were like, okay. Cause people were like, well, he's going to say how it is. Right. And I think the thing is a lot of people have felt that. Right. And I think we had gone through a period 
Because the other thing is when Obama was elected, I think Obama was elected under certain circumstances. I think for one is he is, he, I mean, it, even if you don't like him, you have to admit that he is an um, exceptional individual, right? He, he's, and I know this people are going to be like, oh, you're racist for saying this, Jeff, but I will say it. he is extremely articulate. And I'm not just saying that because he's a black person. I'm just saying right. across I agree. the board, I agree. his yes. soaring oratory, his ability to speak to crowds, right? That made him a once in a kind of generational kind of president up there yes. with like a JFK or somebody. Absolutely. Right? So there was that. We were in the middle of a recession, right? At that point, the, the economy was falling apart. And a lot of Americans wanted to grasp onto something, right? And we, I think especially a lot of white Americans, saw it as an opportunity. They were like, well, we can make right. And it did sort of. There was an element of truth that they were like, well, we obviously had slavery. We had Jim Crow. This is a moment. This is an opportunity for us to kind of put some of that to bed. Right. We can make the situation better. We can we can vote for this guy. And of course, you know, John McCain, he was you know, he, he had kind of lived, he was kind of past his prime as well. So under those special circumstances, Obama got elected. Right. And I think but I don't think that the country, the whole country, that is, was ready for a black president. No, and, I, obviously there was a there was a yeah. segment of, a, of the United States that was uh, that was flabbergasted, enraged uh, that yeah. a black man was there. Obviously, but I think even I think even people let's who just had, admit that. Yeah, I think people who had even had voted for him, um, they regretted it, or they came to be more racist because I think there was a moment in time where they. Because the thing is, too, with racism, I think racism doesn't doesn't just work on the ideological thing, right? Like, I believe I'm a racist, I'm a racist. But racism also has a very in-group dynamic, right? If the people you know around you are all racist, right, it's hard for you to step out of that kind of paradigm, right? Because you're feeling pressure within the group. Yeah. People, like people don't want to touch. It's it's a hot potato. It's a, it's a it's a very um, electrifying subject, and a lot of people just don't want to approach it. So they kind of yeah. just go along with the flow. You know, their mom and yeah. dad. They got a couple of uncles who are yeah. who are racist. Uh, you know, who look yeah. longingly at the old South with slavery and whatnot, and they just yeah. kind of keep their mouths shut. But not only that, not only will they keep their mouths shut and not speak against it, but they may actually go along. In certain yeah. instances, in certain circumstances, yeah. go along with it. Yeah, because I saw it. They did a study, and I, I this a little while back. They did a study like five or six years ago, like online dating, and um, they had these these young people, and it was in Britain, and they had this one British guy, who's a white guy, of course, and he was very like, no, I will not date other races, I won't do whatever, and I wouldn't say he was overtly racist, but he did say these views, which everyone was kind of like, oh wow, whatever, right? Yeah. And then when they did the blind study, the, the interesting thing is they like hooked up these devices and everything. They saw how they looked or how they reacted when they had conversations with everybody, you know, the different races and everything. There were only two people that the study said weren't racist. Oh, wow. Him and the other, and this other black guy, right? Everybody else showed a degree of racism, but this guy didn't, right? But he, for some reason, felt compelled to say this, Right. So my, and now granted, I'm just, I'm making a guess, but my guess is, this is all subjective, but my guess is that he must have grown up in a family where they were like, okay, um, 
this, you can't, you can't do, or you cannot be, you can't show these kinds of ideas. You can't show these because people are to a certain extent as well, like taught racism. Sure. Right. And even if they believe, because especially when we talk about, you know, Jim Crow, right. There were people in the South, there were white people in the South that didn't like Jim Crow, right. That didn't want to treat black people that way. But if they didn't, they themselves could very quickly get in trouble and even they could end up on the wrong end of a rope. Right. So they had to be very mindful of what they said or what they did. Like, so for instance, you know, and that's why the thing is many people think about Americans are like, Oh, Jim Crow was just like, Oh, that like, I think sometimes in history class, they're like, well, this is a bad thing that happened to just black people. Right. But it was not just a bad thing that happened to black people. It also was a bad thing for white people because white people got hurt by the system as well. It was now it was worse, obviously in magnitude for black people, but there was an element that was not. So for instance, if a white person went and ate with black people, you were going to get in trouble, right? You couldn't sit down and eat a meal with black people, right? That was, that was verboten, right? So there was all these rules, you know, that you had to abide by, right? Um, if you were a white person and a black person called you by your first name, yeah, right. Yeah. That was a sign of deep disrespect and that you had to become viscerally violent. Cause like you had to become viscerally violent in a moment to maintain that social order. Because if you didn't, you know, and they found out and they're like, well, you know, Jeff, John just called you by your first name. Did you just <laughs> let that happen? <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> you were going to be in trouble. So I think, there is an element of this, of this, you know, the social system, these, these people kind of, you know, hold it together. They, they kind of hold that system together. And well, it's comfortable. I th- it's comfortable for them. It, isn't yeah. that a sign? Isn't that a sign that white privilege is real? That, that one could be one who actually is not racist, but they actively participate in holding up the, the, the racist system for their own comfort. Well, I, I got I got to put on I got to put on some socks while you answer here. Yeah. Sometimes it is comfort, but other times I think it's also fear, right? Cuz it's a fear of repercussions. Um and I could tell you of one instance in my life that I'm not very proud about. I I knew this girl, right? So she was a black girl and she was in my my college and she was a, she was a pretty girl and I knew that she semi liked me and I thought about dating her. And the reason I did not date her was because I was afraid of what some of my frat brothers would say, especially one right. specific frat brother, right? And I was like, dude, if I date her, he is going to give me all kinds of shit. So I very cowardly were like, I'm not going to ask her out, right? Yeah. And that was the wrong decision because, and I was young at the time, I was what? 19, 20 years old, but it's not okay. an excuse necessarily. It wasn't, I didn't harm her, of course, but that was a decision that I made yeah. based yeah. on somebody else's racist beliefs that was in the group, right? Right, right. And, and, and I think that, that happens a lot. Yeah. I think yeah. that happens a lot. Yeah, that does. I think that does happen a lot amongst white people because you have people who, and that's the thing is too, I think um, with white people, when I, I am with other white people and they do kind of express racist views. I, I just, (laughs) I just take it as like, I don't try to 
you they do the because that's not about who I am. I don't try to do the social justice warrior thing. Like no, like you no. should be ashamed of yourself. I just look at them and they're saying, oh, you're. I just say you're being ridiculous. Like you're like telling. That's like when somebody starts telling me about Santa Claus. Like. Do you yeah. really believe that, bro? Right. Like, are you really gonna <laughs> are you really gonna hold that flag up right now? Right? Are you really gonna <laughs> tell me that? And and just you know, and I just embarrass them a little bit by right. saying like, that's not that's not realistic. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not how that happened. Or but that, see, that's you know, what we need. I I think that alone, if 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 a larger percentage of the white population in America would do just that, I think it would go a long way towards changing. Um, yeah. the social structure in America and it would go a long way towards erasing racism in America. Well, yeah, I, think I believe it's that. Like one of the, yeah. One of the ones is like, well, slavery wasn't that bad. It's like, come on, bro. You really think so? You do you hear people, do you hear people say that? Yeah. 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 I heard, I've heard people, I've read people say that I've, I've seen people say that. And it's just like, well, cause they're like, well, cause they had a house and they were given food and blah, blah, blah. And they had guaranteed work. I'm like, Dude, if I had you out there and I was working you 18-hour days and I was whipping your back and you were picking cotton, see, and I don't, you know, that's back, literally back-breaking work. See, and it's, no, it's, bro, it's, it's it really frightening. It's really frightening because I do believe there's a significant amount of people in America who believe that, that racism wasn't that bad. I mean, you, you hear it. You see it daily on social media. You know, people are, you know, get over it. You know, why are you bringing this up? <laughs> uh, why are you bringing this up? Well, this isn't an issue. And, and I think... Uh, you can also look at uh, the efforts of the Trump administration. What his his 1776 project, yeah, was yeah. going to. It, it was set up in part to erase uh, some some historical facts about what yeah. race or uh, what slavery was all about and how it affected black people and how it affected the American side society yeah. then and now. And that is a yeah. frightening thing to think that that program. Well, got a stamp of approval from the Trump administration. And thank yeah. God, thank God we have Joe Biden in his administration who has taken that away now. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, that, I mean, the things with history is that you should have professional historians, people who are trained deal with this. And because the thing is, I think that was really made in response to the 1619 project. And I think there was a lot, a lot of legitimate pushback against the 1619 project. Tell me how that, I mean, how, tell me how that pushback is legitimate. So the thing is with the 16, and not all of the 16, because the, the, uh, the 1619 project, which I, I actually have not read all of it, I will say that from the, the top, and that's because it's behind a paywall, and I didn't feel like paying to, to, to get it. I should, yeah. but I just, I haven't, I, I haven't had the need to, I, but I understand, I understand the main argument was, you know, that something to the effect of the United States didn't start in 1776. The United States started in 1619 with the introduction of slaves to the United States. I don't need to know much more. I mean, I've heard other arguments and debates around it, but the thing is, like, I don't, my pushback or other historians' pushbacks on that has been, you can't, there was a lot of things happening in America, right? Well, first of all, the difference between 1776 and 1619, right? So yes, slaves did arrive in North America in 1619, but at that point, if I remember correctly, uh, New York was a Dutch colony at that point, right? So it wasn't even British yet. So like, there was no United States yet. Like they, that, that's like, you know, that's there. There was so you can't really you could hold it on the Europeans, right? But there was no United States yet. So that's you can't say that that is necessarily an American sin. Right, so slavery pre-existed 
the United States a long time, right? So you can't now yeah, the fact that U.S. continued slavery, you could say there you was go. a problem, exactly. right? From and what I, they said, but but, but, but you but, can't say that. Uh, and then the other thing is there were obviously. Yes, black people and slavery was an important element in American history that has been neglected and um, hasn't been fully elaborated. But at the same time, it's not the only subject. Uh, that's, that's the only aspect of American history, right? You have yeah, to, but that's not what the 1619 Project is pushing. Uh, it, it can be debated, of course, whether America... You know, technically or or symbolically existed in 1619. I I get it. That can and maybe that's a mistake that the 1619 project made. Maybe they should have called it the 1776 project. Uh, but but, yeah, but would the, have been more but accurate, the fact right? but the <laughs> fact that they're trying to um, have this awakening and this recognition of what slavery meant to the United States and what um, black people have contributed to. United States. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a noble cause? Isn't that? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I, I think that's, I mean, I think her, them writing that document or those papers, that is absolutely fine. That's what should happen, right? That's what, hist that's what history is about, yeah. right? History is about arguing over these themes, like arguing, I, I, I guess when I say pushback, I'm not saying like rejection. I'm just saying that that's dialogue, right? That's what okay. happens in history all the time. Sure. You know, wh whatever historical subject it is, right? Yeah. There is people reinterpret the facts or they, or they give you their narrative around, because a lot of history is building narrative and because there's obviously a lot of different facts, right? And she put forward a narrative. Obviously that's the job. Like other historians should come forward. And that was, I guess, uh, one of the other elements I didn't like about 1619 and other historians came and they said things about her paper and then they were accused of being racist, right? Because they're saying, well, you can't criticize it, which I think is a mistake, <laughs> right? You should be, if someone, if someone makes a historical argument, you should be able to criticize it one way or the other, right? I will say this. Um, I will say this from what I have read and, and like you, I have been uh, reluctant to pay, you know, pay to read this, 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 document in its entirety but from what i have read of the 1619 project there does seem to be a little bit of of course it's 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 historically correct but there also seems to be an emotional element to it for example as you say when anyone questions anything about it they automatically get accused i'm seeing that left and right especially on twitter Anybody who questions anything about the 1619 Project is labeled racist, and I wish they would yeah. stop doing that. I wish they would yeah. welcome the discussion because I believe an in-depth discussion of the the guts, if you will, the guts of the 1619 Project will only lead to a further uh, legitimacy of the 1619 project see yeah and i and i look at the 1619 project and trump's 1776 program as night and day you know it's, it's like the bible and the necronomicon uh you know because <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, you know the the trump's 1776 thing is basically lies they want to twist history they want to rewrite history. Whereas mm -hmm. my experience of the 1619 project is an enlightenment of elements of history that have been neglected up through the years. Yeah. yeah. Because there, his is like, Oh, you know, I, I've read, I read part passages of his 
I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I didn't take the time to, to read through all of his after the first few patches I read because I was like, okay, this is this is ridiculous. But like, you know, slavery. Yeah, it's, slavery wasn't that bad. You know, the Civil War really wasn't fought over slavery. I think yeah. if I remember correctly, that was one of the things yes. which I cannot stand. Yes. Um, right. So it's so it's kind of those old fashioned kind of tropes. Uh, you know, and it just it glosses over. You know, the the true horror that was you know, slavery and Jim Crow. Because that's the other thing is, like, I think you can look back at American, American history and history in general. There's a lot of bad things that happened, right? History is not like, you know, like the one saying says, history is violence, right? Like, there were a lot of bad things. A lot of people did a lot of bad things. There were good people who tried to do good things as well, right? But America, obviously, as a 200-something-year-old country, is a complex place that had a complex beginning and that you have to look at America as from a nuanced position, right? If you bring up what happened with slavery, you talk about the negative elements of American history. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're anti-American or that you think America is horrible. It's just highlighting facts of what happened, right? There were some, there are a lot of good things that happened in American history. I think those good things should be taught as well. And, you know, our founding fathers were complex guys who had, you know, they, they had um, things that were they had things that were great about them and things that were not so great about them. They grew up in their own world in their own time, and you also have to take that into consideration. Um, the other sure. thing is that we should you, before people make like snap judgment decisions about these individuals from like a 21st century perspective, is that you have to always try to remain as open as you can about the facts that you're taking in or try to understand the full story because on the surface of it, on the surface of it, you know, things are sometimes a lot more complex than we would like to understand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, George Washington, he grew up in a slave system. The slavery was as, I mean, at that time in the world, there was a lot of slavery people, there white people, Europeans were slavery. I mean, one thing that's not talked about as much is, you know, uh, there there was a there was a European slave trade that existed roughly around the same time that the Triangle uh, slave trade that existed because you had the Barbary Coast pirates yeah. that were raiding. They were raiding as far as Iceland and Britain and southern France, the Mediterranean, and they were kidnapping white people and they were Europeans, I should say, and they were bringing them back to North Africa to sell on the North African slave market. Now, granted, they did not they did not sell as many or capture as many white people as were sold in the African slot um, triangle trade of slavery. But slavery was a, it was something that was a known business that existed for thousands of years, unfortunately, because it was before the industrial revolution. So it was a cheap way to get manual labor. So what do you say then? So what do you say then uh, is the difference? There's an obvious difference when we look at how people react to that form of slavery versus American or North American slavery. Uh, why is it different? Uh, why do you think it's, tell me, tell me yeah. your thoughts on that. So, so the thing is with um, American slavery, the thing is that American slavery became racialized for a couple of different reasons, right? So racism throughout the rest of the world and leading up to that point, like that's for instance, the Roman empire. Anyone could be a Roman a citizen. Anyone could be a Roman slave. If you were a, a German, could be a Roman citizen and also be a slave. 
a Nubian could be a Roman citizen and be a slave. There was even a black Roman emperor, right? Rome did not think in those terms. Rome right. was either you speak Latin and you have Roman customs and you're Roman, or you don't and you're a barbarian. And they treated barbarians pretty damn bad, right? <laughs> they treated their slaves pretty bad, right? Yeah. But to a certain extent, Rome was equal opportunity, right? <laughs> it was, you know, it, it was it had its own <laughs> system, um, but it was to a certain extent equal opportunity. What yes. happened with America and American racialized slavery was something that did not happen overnight, but it was a long-term system that took a few hundred years to develop. So... Um, slavery in the past, one second, my cat is like coughing. Sorry. I don't want to get that caught tape. <laughs> but, but slavery in the past in America, so Africa was a major source of slaves during that period, the 15th century, right? Yeah. And with Africa being the major source of slave, because they, there was a lot of internal slavery in Africa. Because as far as I understand the economic system at the time in Africa, and this is all up and down. So from, from what I understand, a little bit north of Nigeria all the way down to present day like Nambia, right? All the way down the coast. And it shifted from place to place, right? Yeah. Um, because it's somewhat important to understand what was happening in Africa. In Africa, from what I have read and understand, you couldn't own land. The king typically owned land, right? So to show wealth, to show power in Africa, people had slaves, right? And one of the easiest ways to get slaves was raiding warfare with your neighboring kingdom, right? So there was a lot of individual warfare. There was a big market for slaves. So there was a lot of slaves that were available from Africa. And the thing is, I also want to point out this conception. We have the conception of, or a lot of people ask the question of, well, why would they sell other black people? It's very, very important to understand that they did not think that way, right? Neither did the whites at that point. They thought these other people are my enemy. Just like we talk about the French and Germans killing each other, we don't say why would these white people kill each other, right? Exactly. It's automatically yeah. assumed they're French and German. There's a difference exactly. to them. So Congolese and other people, they understand the difference between the tribes. Like even today, Hutus and Tutsis, they yeah. understand that they, we don't. Perfect they example. Do, Perfect example. Right. Yeah. So obviously in Africa, you had these various kingdoms. That was that was big business. Slavery is big business. And in Europe, A, you had feudalism, right? So there wasn't many white European slaves that were left, right? And Europe, starting in 1453 with the fall of Constantinople, because you've heard the word like Slavs, right, for the Slavic yeah. races, yeah. right? Yeah. That actually comes from the root word of slave, right? Because there used to be a lot of trading markets that would bring in um, people from Eastern Europe, the, the, uh, the Eastern, the... Constantinople and the Byzantine Empire would sell slaves in Spain and Italy and these other places, right? Yeah. But after the fall of Constantinople, those slaves started to go to the Ottoman Empire, right? So at that point in time, starting in the 1500s, when the Portuguese and the Spanish started to go out, and later the English, French, and Dutch, the only real source of a lot of slaves in the world was Africa, Right. right, Africa was where you wanted to go. And the Africans wanted to sell these slaves to them, right, because they wanted to get rich. So, right, the Portuguese and the especially the Spanish and later the Dutch and the French and the British 
Um, they didn't come in like one of the misconceptions that you'll see sometimes, especially some of the older movies like Roots. They'll show like raiding parties going in to yeah. like capture black people. That did that did happen, but it was extremely rare. And one of the reasons why that didn't happen was because for one. The Europeans didn't know the land, right? Exactly. So for them to land their boats and to go in, that was dangerous for them, right? Sure. They, they wanted to stay on their ships, sure. right? And two, it would mess up their business operations, right? Because they had traders, they had people they dealt with on a regular biz, uh, regular basis to do business, right? So they would bring them gold, silver, iron, whatever, uh, uh, cloth, whatever the African guns the Africans wanted, and they would get slaves traded with them. And they didn't even, and this, they obviously weren't like, they weren't militarily enough as well powerful to conquer these Afri African kingdoms or, you know, force them to do what they wanted them to do. It was, this was both sides wanted this. And in some extent, there were even, they even intermarried, right? You even had Portuguese That's and right. Spanish in the early part intermarrying with these African <laughs> kingdoms. And you had, you even had biracial crews. You had individuals who were both white and black, who knew both cultures that worked as, and of course, these are not things that are portrayed because I think our understanding of race and we're ourselves, that understanding is so black and white. It's hard for us to understand that there would be a biracial captain of a slave ship yeah. transporting slaves back and forth. Right. But this was, and this was these, these guys, Hey man, this is business. I'm going to put these people and into this hold of the ship and we're going to overfill it. Yep. And you know, so many are going to die along the way, but you know, that's what we're going to do. So unfortunately, as harsh as that sounds, this was a pure business. Yeah. They just ran the numbers and they saw the profit yeah. and, and you know, profit and loss. Can the yeah, will, will the profit will the profit uh, support so much of a loss? Uh, if the answer is yes, let's run with it. Yeah, yeah, and that's how. So in the beginning, when they were bringing the slaves over, right, it was just a business, and the white people. And because the thing is, too, in America, it was multiracial at that point. Many people imagine the Pilgrims coming over. Well, obviously, there were the Native Americans here already. The Africans started to show up, like you know, shortly thereafter in 1619, right, and they started to colonize. And the thing is, um, unlike Europe, skin color became a quick marker or understanding what culture were these people are coming from, right? Obviously, yes. oh, he's black, he, he must be coming from Africa. Well, he's white, or he looks white, he must be from Europe. Yeah. Oh, he's kind of a, a tannish, reddish, um, he's, he's Native American, right? Yeah. So that became a quick identity marker that people, but over time, this... You know, because because they weren't bringing in white slaves, right? They were bringing in white indentured servants who had to serve, you know, ten-year contracts or and whatever get it their was, freedom. and then get their freedom. But everyone understood in the beginning as well. In many of the colonies, blacks would not be held for their entire lives as well. Some That's true. That is a little-known fact. That is a little-known yeah, fact. Some of them say, were able well, to work for their freedom. Yeah. Yeah, and especially in New York, which is yes. funny because that's what the one they outlined in 1619. Um, if they could prove that they were they had turned to Protestant, they had become Christian, they were given their freedom because, of course, the Dutch were Protestants, and they, you know, with the Bible, they weren't really yeah. sure if this was yeah. legitimate to keep these people yeah. in slavery, right? And obviously, had different levels of slavery. Can you, you imagine know? if and, those Dutch who wondered whether slavery slavery was right or wrong, if they would have spoken up a little, a little bit louder back in the early or the middle 1600s? What a different yeah. America we would have. Well, I mean, the thing is, America could have 
uh, many points in America's path that could have taken a different direction yes. than what it decided to take. Yeah. And America could look a lot differently complexion-wise. Because the other thing is that um, in the beginning, uh, indentured servants and, and black slaves, especially in the North, right? Because we always think of slavery, we think of the Southern context. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously in the North, it was a lot more industrialized context, yeah. right, where slaves were working in small workshops. There were, you know, people were owning like maybe one or two slaves or four slaves, right? Yeah. Even, even rich people at that time in like Boston, they might have like 12 slaves on yeah. staff, right? Yeah. Not like a large plantation. It wasn't like the South. Like more like house on. servants and, and, yeah. uh, you know, working the trades, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know, a blacksmith, a seamstress, things like that. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is like poor whites, and indentured servants and black slaves, everyone was hanging out. People were, were, you know, people ate together. They were having children together. Um, one of the things that happened in the North, which the South could not understand, was that white Northern owners, slave owners, I'm not trying to make it better, but it was different. That's what I'm trying to say. They used to eat. They would even eat with their slaves at the same table, yeah. right? Yeah. So that was they would work with their slaves in the same workshop, right? So for Southerners who would come to visit, this is back when the North still had slavery, they're like, dude, this is, why don't you guys do it, right? So, you know, and I think, well, Southern slavery developed differently because they needed more and because they, um, like we talked about the other day, in the beginning, they used a lot of indentured servants because, yes. of course, in Virginia, there was tobacco, was the, the cash crop. Yeah. And then you had the English Civil War in the 1640s, and they were getting far less indentured servants and slaves and, and white people that they could pick the tobacco with, right? So they became more and more dependent on bringing in slaves from Africa to fulfill this. And then the issue was, well, we can't have these white people and these black people forming any kind of legitimacy, right? So we need to separate them, right? So we'll give them these whites more rights and, and give them more so that they will back us and maintaining the slave population. Right. Because now we're starting to be outnumbered on our own plantations. I was, right? was going to say a big, and yeah, I was going to say a big difference for the different atmosphere between Northern slavery uh, in the early days of slavery and Southern slavery is a, an issue of numbers uh, because up North, there is a much larger population of, people in general and they yeah. also did not need you know that you like you said you it would be a household with maybe just a couple slaves maybe four yeah. or five you know to work basically in the trades and to be house servants whereas in the south there's a different numerical dynamic because you have a plantation with the nuclear family you know husband wife and maybe two or three kids but this plantation needed i don't know 50 to 100 hands to work it yeah yeah. Thus, the necessity for a more controlling and brutal slave system in the South. And that's yeah, quite important. 100%, 100%. That, yeah, yeah, that, ex that explains important. a lot uh, for, for people. See, and you and I know this. You and I have read, uh, uh, studied this. I've actively studied yeah. these things. You and I know these things. I hope people are listening. And I hope people are taking in this information because these things that happened so many hundreds of years ago are the reason why we have the issue with race in America today. Uh, yeah. I don't believe that the issue with race in America today, racism in America today can be solved when we have so many people who are ignorant of 
the history of America and the racist uh, element of slavery that is embedded in that history. And that is why I'm a supporter. And I get it. Like I said, I think there's a little bit of emotion that's put into the 1619 project, which then dampens a bit of the factual history uh, that is trying to be promoted in the 1619 project. But I'm a strong supporter of the 1619 project because I believe that people must know the true history of America if we're going to make a better unity today. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think that to... I do. I don't. I mean, I guess it's just because I'm a historian. I do think I understand how it's an emotional thing, but I do think you should try to get the facts as close as possible as you can. Always you, totally agree. Going to be points there. Totally debate, agree. Debatable. Absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. I wish. I wish they it, would. You know, like yeah. I said, I wish they would stop trying to uh, label people racist just because they question certain parts of the 1619 project. I wish yeah. they would stop doing that. Remove the emotion and just stick to the historical fact because the historical fact is strong enough, powerful enough and factual to the point where it, I truly believe that with more knowledge of those facts, we can change the way America works today. Yeah. Because I think, I think the idea that, you know, that, that that's where I go to when people say things that are ridiculous, where they're like, Oh, well, slavery wasn't that bad. I'm like, you don't you either. <laughs> you're either being stupid right now or you're ignorant to what happened. It's either one of the two, because but even if you take, the 10 minutes to think about it, slavery in any of its contexts throughout history was never good, right? Like there's never, there was never like, oh yeah, this is an optimal slave position I want to be in, right? Like who, yeah. like at any point in history, would you, and no one would ever be like, yeah, I want to, I want to fly back in a time machine and be a slave of anybody, right? right. Like you don't, you, you didn't want to be in that position. There's no such thing as a slave who was better off. If you're a slave, that is the end all be all. You are a slave and you have, yeah. yeah. Uh, Norm Norm MacDonald is one of my favorite uh, comedians and he had a joke. um, It's not even really a joke. It's just a statement. He says, you know, uh, a a really, uh, you know what, how did he, how did he say this? Let me get this right. Um, uh, A really big uh, set of gold change would be a great gift for a really good slave. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. he said that and it's like, and, and it's funny. It may, it makes you giggle, uh, partially because it's funny, but also partly because it's just so, you know, it's true. Who, who wants to joke about that? But, but there, but to, to be able to pull off a joke like that, you have to be aware of the facts, the historical facts of slavery. In other words, yeah. you know that there was nothing good about being a slave and it's, it's yeah. just, it's, it's mind boggling that we have people in our educational system. Um, I, I, I don't remember where I found this online, but I was looking at examples of textbooks, new textbooks that they either are distributing in Texas or they want to distribute in Texas and how they were formulating uh, all things that had to do with slavery. And it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's my, you know, you see the slaves smiling, um, yeah. well-dressed, yeah. healthy. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, that movie, the Patriot with, uh, Bruce, yes. with um, yes. With yeah, Mel Gibson. I was like, dude, come, dude, come on, man. They it's a great like, movie. It's, it's a great movie. And they're like, yeah. happy to see Massa come back. I'm like, come that, on. I, I, I like that movie. It's a great movie. I like the action in it, but I, I, 
I'm torn I, because I get just a movie that is not. I a get furious about the historical, f- and I I watched that movie with with uh, our kids. Um, let's see, they're they're 15 and 13 now. They were maybe this was maybe five years ago. I watched that movie with our kids, and I think I wore out the pause button on the remote control because <laughs> I had to. I'm like, okay, this is what they showed now in the movie, but here's how it really, you know. And they got it. They got yeah. a history lesson through that movie. I think it yeah. took us a couple of days to watch. It. You know, I think the the interest, the best one, or one of the best interpretations I saw of slavery, although not perfect, was like Twelve Years a Slave. Yes, I thought that was a really good interpretation, especially because they show a couple elements in there that aren't normally told about the slave story. What is um, it that stands out for you? That was un- for one is that he's kidnapped, right? So a lot of times, I think there's a misconception that every black person in America was a slave, right? 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 Or they they were growing up in bondage in the South. Right. And that actually wasn't true. There were, I mean, it was a smaller community. There were far less, but they did exist in the North and you had educated black and you had, you know, what they call free Negroes at the time. And people respected them. They were just like, you know, that's Bob lives down the street. Right. And there wasn't kind of that, like the South. So there was very different. Right. And then obviously this guy got tricked because it's based on a true story. He got tricked by this dick of a friend who wanted to sell them into slavery, right? Yep. And then I think the other important element that they show in there, I think it's, if I remember correctly, it is 12 Years a Slave, but, and then it goes, because I will, well, I will say it's never good to be a slave because there is obviously a ceiling, right? You also have to understand that there were, the system was complex. There were black people that, who were enslaved, that's in slavery that supported slavery. You had, you know, what they called the Uncle Toms, and you had people who, because they personally benefited from this position, yep, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in the movie, they show a part where he goes to talk to the one other slave master. He gets a letter to go over to the other's plantation. And that plantation, the slave master's wife had passed away, and he's sleeping with one of the slaves. And yes. now she is yes. ruling over the plantation. Yes. And that is things that happened. So yes. it was a very complex. And, you know, one of the other things... I think this goes to my other thing is that, you know, in America, we imagine the two groups, black and white, is very separate. They're separate populations, or at least, you know, you see people like who are like, oh, we want to set up a white ethno state in the middle of somewhere. You have people, African-Americans, like Farrakhan and stuff. I want to set up a black state over here in Idaho or wherever it is. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we are beyond that. We have intermixed so much and we have been with each other for so long that we are the same population. Well, is, well, well. Having said that, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how many brothers there are up in Idaho. <laughs> well, that, that is true. In Idaho, maybe. But I will say that did Farrakhan, did Farrakhan so, really, did Farrakhan really want to move? I know he wanted a an autonomous black nation within America, but where where did he want it to be? Did he really say? You I know, don't? honestly, I forget. I, I forget where he wanted it okay. to be. Maybe, I, I just picked Idaho as <laughs> okay. a random state. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do know it was further out west, or okay, he, yeah. he wanted to set something up. Um, it wasn't like Detroit, or no, <laughs> I, yeah, because he, I know he did want them to be farmers. He wanted yes, them to be he like did, yes. farmers and yes, he did. farmers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but well, what I was saying is that the demographically, they say that uh, most white Americans, they believe, have at least one oh, yeah. percent black in them, which would mean. That they're like, because if you if you go by the original one drop rule, which we should I'll talk about in a second, because people should know what that is. That means most Americans, by their standards today, are black. 
Yeah. Right. Because yeah. if you have any black lineage in you, according to the system, then you're black. Right. One drop. Yeah. So I think even that, if most Americans realize that we're probably a majority, by the old definition, a majority black country, is, I mean, that's something to wrap your mind, your mind around that we're yeah. technically speaking, you could argue a majority black country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Obviously, it's not like that because of the way that we perceive things, right? Because right. obviously today, I walk into a bank, they're like, oh, he's just a white yeah. guy. They don't know anything. Yeah. They, don't, they don't do your genetic code. Um, but if they did, the other thing, if they did, if they did, yeah. I, would, I would not, I would, I would be in trouble. Um, and the, <laughs> the, other, the other thing that they would, I, I would say is, oh, and then for, for black people, uh, all black people have, most black people in America have 20, at least uh, 15, 24 or more percent European in them, yes. right? So we are definitely intermixed, yes. right? And we are probably, you know, so we're, we're basically, so this, we have this perpetuating thing that we're two, like, I feel like a lot of times we have this perpetuating thing that we're these two separate people that we're just happened to be here together in America, I think there would obviously because of laws and the customs that we had, uh, the racial mixing is far less than a place like Brazil. I think if we if we'd gone uh, uh, in a different direction, like Brazil. So in Brazil, for instance, they decided that they wanted to have because in the 1880s, 1890s, if I'm remember, yeah, the 1880s, 1890s, they decided that they wanted to have a more white society because racism was all the foe back then. Yes, you know, yeah. obviously that it was scientific back then. Um, how can we make the society more more white? Well, we'll just have all the white guys have kids with all the black women, and we'll just generally whiten ourselves up. <laughs> that was their solution, right? Which is, interesting, which is a, you know, it's 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 crazy, it's 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 silly, but in some sense, it makes a little bit more sense for what they were trying to do. It, it does have its own certain logic to it, but it is like okay. Whereas in the, obviously in the United States. They restrict, prohibit, you know, there are most states, it was against the law, yeah, even in yeah. um, Pennsylvania, for yes, instance, yeah. that you, you, the miscegenation laws, you could not, as a white person, you could not mix. I think now, there are still some laws on the books in the 70s, up until the middle 70s in some yeah, states. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it was in, it wasn't until uh, the Loving case, I think it was in the fifties that the Supreme right. court was, was finally like, no, you, you got, you can't, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was a, you know, that was a real, obviously that was a real thing. And, uh, you know, even during, and it was another interesting thing, it's during Reconstruction, uh, the misogyny laws are some of the first laws that they actually got rid of. And, you know, one of the other interesting stories that we don't really talk about from Reconstruction, because I think, you know, because people, again, imagine Sally Hemings as being black, right? Or they, they inherit their mind, even in Hollywood, uh, imagine her as being black, right? Or, or at least half black. But Sally Hemings was probably maybe a quarter black because from what I understand about Sally Hemings was Jefferson had married Sally Hemings' sister and Sally Hemings was the daughter. Her father was actually her sister's white father who owned the plantation, right? So Sally Hemings to you or me today would probably just appear to be a white person. Yeah. And there were many of these white people or who, who to us visually would appear to be white people who, who were the house slaves, right? Who were on the plantation, right? Because this is of course, when you have the dichotomy of 
the field slaves and the house slaves, right. and obviously there was real tensions between them. Sure. And the house slaves, had, they felt the need to side with sure. the white owners because if there was a rebellion like Nat Turner Rebellion, yeah. all the house slaves got killed. Right. It See, was, it was this, out for them. And those are the beginnings of what we call colorism within the colorism, black music, yeah. within the black community today. That root, yeah. the roots of that go back to the slave days and the uh, difference in privilege between the house slaves and the field slaves. Yeah. And when reconstruction or when slavery ended and reconstruction began, you had a large portion of these people who were like, I'm passing, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. And they packed their bags and moved north, or they moved wherever they had to move. No, it was it wasn't easy to do that because you had to totally, you know, you had to leave all your family and everything else behind. But people right? did it. But it wasn't option. There were some people who did people, it. Yeah. A, lot, a yeah. lot of people did it, yeah. and that's why when I, I always find it funny when I see these southern guys or these people in general, they're like, "Well, this is Confederacy is my heritage," and you know, so and so. I'm like, "Do you really know, man? Do you really know?" <laughs> Can you really say that? Because another interesting point is, you know, um, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, right, the head of the FBI, who obviously uh, he was extremely against black people. Yes. He didn't, you know, he racist to the people, core. Yeah, black people should stay in their lanes. Yep. He, we know, uh, so we think. I, I haven't heard enough evidence to really come out and say a hundred percent for sure. He would have to get DNA tests, but uh, I know there was there's a lady who did her genealogy. She was doing her genealogy, and she found out. She argues, uh, and I think I don't think she's trying to be malicious. I think that there's there it could be true. She argued that um, she's related to Jager, who were not obviously she's a black lady, right? And by doing her genealogy, she found out. She's like, oh, it looks like there's a clear connection because Jager Hoover's father. Uh, kind of materialized, his family materialized out of nowhere in Washington, D.C., right? And it wasn't real clear where the, whether genealogy linked back to, and uh, it's and it was a rumor then and throughout his life that yes. he had black blood, and he was really aware of this, and he was, he was really concerned about this. And, yeah, so... I have read that, know. I have read that as well, um, and I think it would explain a lot of his, I mean, it was so obvious he was a racist. It was not, you don't have to think twice about it. And I wonder if it was him resenting something that he knew about his own lineage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it might've been. And I think the thing is he, um, you know, especially, and I've grand, I might be just, this might just be, I'm seeing things into it because I know this information. Yeah. But even if you look at pictures of him, you can see it a little bit. You know, right. he, he, <laughs> and that's the funny thing. You could see it a little bit now that, now that you pointed out, I'm like, yeah, now that I know, would, I, I would have loved that. to have been around and invite old J. Edgar Hoover to the, to the barbecue and put him in charge of the potato salad or something and see what he comes up with. I think that might have explained. I think we could have found out. Just invite him to the barbecue and put him in charge of the, the potato salad or something. I mean, how does he make know, it? There's he, a joke. So, in there. Yeah, there's definitely a joke in there. I mean, so the thing is, like, you know, and the thing is, too, um, you know, the there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of close relations between, even in the South, during Jim Crow, I mean, Strong Thurmond 
had, you know, which, you know, didn't come out until the day after he died, right? He yeah. had a, 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 a half black daughter yeah. that he sent through college yeah. and he met her, he met her in secret, had a whole secret family. Yeah. He, he I, from what I understand, he really loved her, but he was like, well, my day job is being uber racist at the U.S. Senate. Isn't that amazing? I, isn't that amazing yeah. how he, he, and you know, and he's not the only one that does that. There's something, um, I mean, there's, some, there's a lot of historical context here where uh, white men especially would have this thing for black women on the side, in the shadows, and yet they couldn't, yeah, I don't know. I guess this is our animalistic side where they can, they get their sexual gratification, but it does nothing as far as their view of that woman's humanity. You know, they can continue to be yeah. racist, even though they have this relationship. But with but with him, it was a little different because he wasn't just having sex with a black woman. He had a yeah. whole family. I mean, he he had yeah. another family yeah. across and then on the other side of the tracks. Like, and then, he, he, took know, he, like, he took care yeah, of them. He took care of them. Yeah. He could have just been like, I, I, I'm going to see you again. And right? it just blows my he, mind that he could still be outward outwardly racist while he has this other thing going on with not just a black woman that he's having sex with, but a black family that he is caring for. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. How, does yeah, he, how do you I do mean, that? Well, how do you, the mental gymnastics there, man is, uh, it's impressive. Well, I mean, again, I think it's, it, you know, I guess, cause I think that goes to the whole, I mean, first of all, it's like a forbidden love, right? I think, well, I think a lot of it is you're right. It starts off as it's a race or it's, it's a rape rather, and you can do what you want. Right, because you have this outlet as a white man in the South at this time. But then I think most people who, if they have any feelings or if they're normal, right, they're going to grow attached to these people. Now they have a relationship, but you, again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Like you have the social context of racism, right? You can't just, and some people, I mean, this was very rare, but it did happen. You had some guys who would just run away with them to yes. someplace they would go to Europe or something like that. But most would just be like, well, we're just going to have to have a secret family because I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't in public acknowledge you as my right, wife because, right. you know, and you would have these women who would, they work in their home as their servants. Right. But in yeah. actuality they were their wives, but they would just never come out and say, yeah, this is my wife. Right. Yeah. They would just continue to do this. And that was part of and I, oh, I will say I wanted to just briefly touch on the one drop rule, because I think maybe a lot of people might not know what that, that explain, is. Explain, explain this, from. because, uh, you know, yeah. I'm sitting over here in Norway and I don't think a lot of Norwegians understand any or they probably never even heard anything about it. Yeah. Talk about that yeah. for a minute. So in the so obviously. In early America, you started having the, I, I'll say an issue, but this was the issue of people that were being born that were of mixed race, right? And in Spain, obviously, the Spanish would call them mulattoes, right? And they weren't really sure, like, what these people's rights and privileges would be. But as we talked about before, with the decline in the population of, of especially coming over from England, <clears throat> of uh, workers on 10-year contracts, indentured servants, they had to, uh, they had needed, they didn't want their slaves to eventually become free. And like I said, a lot of the indentured servants and the white, poor white frees and the blacks were freely mixing amongst each other. There wasn't sort of this idea yet or this hard boundary between white and black. So what they decided to do was at first it was incremental. At first they were like, well, if you're majority white, you're still white. If you got some black, you're some whatever. But eventually as time went on, they decided to just make it one drop rule because they said 
as long as you have one drop of black blood in you, then you are a slave. And because the other issue that they had was they were obviously raping their slave women. They were having children with them, yeah. right? And or they had not all cases. Some cases it was a legitimate relationship, but most cases we don't have the evidence to prove. But I'm assuming these women didn't really have any kind of rights. I'm sure they didn't want to have these relationships or even if they did, it was in the context that they were going to be treated better than other slaves. So that's why they took these relationships. Which, right? which that is still, it, that's still rape. <laughs> you know, it's still right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But it's, it's a, I understand. You know, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, there was a context to it. It was obviously they weren't meeting as two equals. Right. Right. But some, I'm sure some slave women welcome these relationships because it improved their lives materially speaking, yes, right? Yes. But it is still a form of rape, but you're kind of in a weird kind of gray zone, right? Yeah. Which They're getting obviously. some benefit in that they yeah. could maybe be moved from the slave quarters to the big house. Yeah. Exactly. Still a slave though. <laughs> yeah, you're still a slave, but you know, versus those other guys out there freezing in the shacks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah. it's a step up, right? Yeah. So, um, so what I was saying is that, so they, and because another thing is they did not want, because the thing is that they, at one point, I, I think it was 18, I might, I might be forgetting the exact year, but I believe it was 1840 or so. I might be off. They stopped the import of slaves from Africa as well. Right. So mm -hmm. buying slaves became much more difficult. Um, so an easy way for them to have more slaves is they would just be like, Oh, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to either, you'd either have your slaves reproduce or you yourself would be the bull, so to speak. Yes. Right. Yeah. And you would just reproduce with all your slave women, right? To just up your numbers, right? Yeah. And you would have your your legitimate white sons join in this process because you'd want to produce as many slaves as you can because it's straight revenue, right? Yes. So if you had a law that was saying like, oh, well, if it's 50%, that person's free, well, then that's one less slave. It's defeating the economic uh, ends that they're yeah. trying to meet. Yeah. So there's that. And the other thing is, too, there is a security element to it because, <clears throat> as we said, the, the house slaves are always going to be more loyal than the field slaves, right? Yeah. So you were going to want to so, surround yourself with your relatives in the immediate household, right? Yeah. Because there's this whole element of control that yes. goes into it. Again, which I think is um, kind of goes back to the madness of, you know, when you see 12 years a slave, right? Where they talk about like the first slave master, he's still a slave master. He wasn't the best guy. Right. But it's, I think it's, it's uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Right. But he yeah. was, as a slave master goes, he was okay. He was fair to a certain extent. He even helped save his life. Right. At one point, because they got into that fight about, um, the other crazy dude trying to kill him. Right. That's right. And he had to defend himself. Um, but the next guy after that was completely, batshit crazy and yeah. he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff right so those are kind of the situation unfortunately if you were a slave that you could find yourself in right um so those so that's kind of the idea and though i got off on a tangent there that's the idea of the one drop rule is it yeah. had these economic and security kind of ideas to it and this remained on the books right up through jim crow right and yeah. how people were classified and they even had people at the hospital when you were born in the hospital in the South, who would make sure they would, they try to verify this because it was very important um, because documents that even came to you. So they say, for instance, if you were a black person and you had paid this, I found, I did not know. And I found out recently from my podcast from a show when I was doing this research, 
for anybody who's interested, um, it's a history of the Cold War podcast. Yeah, I'll plug it. So you can yeah. learn a lot, a lot a great, more about it. It's this. a great, great podcast, everybody. The yeah. history of the Cold War podcast. Yeah, because yeah, we cover a lot of these subjects with Jim Crow. So I'm going through a, a, a series of episodes right now about the early civil rights movement. Um, but to get back to what I was saying, uh, so the utility company, they would not say, and I apologize, John, I cannot remember your last name. What's your last name? Reese. 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 So they wouldn't say Mr. Reese on your bill. That was, they would not say that, right? Or if I was if I was black, they wouldn't say Mr. Hogue on my, on my bill, right? Yeah. They would say Jeff, right? And to, as a matter of fact, as a white, a, a white person that addressed a black person by their first name was actually, at that time, believe it or not, was considered a courtesy. That white person was considered to be a polite white person if they said the person's first name. Yeah, yeah. Most white people would refer to black people by unfortunately using the N-word. They yep. would literally just be like, yep, yep. come over here. Yeah. Or, or they boy. would use the boy or, 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 or an older black person would call be called uncle. Yep. yep. Right. Uh, a girl would just be called, I think there was, I forget the term for, they had a specific term for a young girl. I think it would just be like girl or something yep. like that. An older woman would be called auntie. Yep. And that's what, those are the terms that they would use. Um, you know, for, for, in terms of salutation, but even on your bills, your utility statements, you could not, you know, you, they would not list your last name, even in newspapers for famous African-Americans like that Louis Armstrong, yeah. right? Yeah. They would not list their last name because the newspaper editors were afraid that they would be showing too much respect to black people Isn't that something? and that would get their yeah. paper in trouble. Right. See, and, and it's those it's those little things. It's those little um, things that that a lot of people today walking around in America they don't know about those kind of things. But little, to little me, it's things, yeah. a little a little tidbit like that speaks volumes. It speaks volumes when it comes to the the to to, to how society has been impregnated impregnated with with this this. It's not just a thread of racism. It's it's a. Uh, it's a flowing it a river. Social, it's a torrential it a, river. It, it's 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 in our it's in our blood and guts in America, and it yeah. and it truly affects the way things are today. Now, a lot of people will hear me say that and say, "Oh my God, John, get over it! You know, stop <laughs> stop pulling the race card." I hate that pulling the race card, but and and that's not what I'm doing. And I don't want any pity. I don't want any type of privilege or sympathy. Uh, I just want justice, and I want people to be aware of the history of it because that awareness will eventually bring justice and equality and unity. I truly believe that. You've yeah. got to know the history of our today. You have to know what brought yeah. us here. You have to understand the context so yes. that when people yes. are... Yeah, so I, I think a lot of white people say, like, oh, man, he's playing the, white, you know, the, the black card again. He's just, you know, they, they see it as, like, an excuse, and they're yeah. like, well, bro, you weren't a slave. And, yeah, although that, that is true, there is there's a context. Like, you know, obviously, I'm not black, but as a black person, obviously, you come into a room, people see you as black. That carries all kinds of, right, especially for the other people who are viewing you, that yeah. brings you don't know what they're going to think you don't understand the context that's in their mind and unfortunately in this country because of our history there's a whole context to that right there's a whole context of people black people getting employment there's a whole context to black people buying property where they lived yeah. red redlining there's a whole history behind that which really from a structural legal level didn't end until the 1960s and that's only like two generations ago yeah and 
this it took us 400 years to build a cradle to grave racial hierarchy system in the United States. So decided to kind of expect to be like, oh, well, you know, that shit ended in the 60s and we just hit pause and it all just ended and we're all good now. It's like, yeah. you know, it's just, it's not the case. I mean, I wish it was. It would be great if that was the case. Have we made progress? Yes. Have we done um, sure. good things? Sure. Yes. Sure. Um, but there, again, there's still things there. And, and I can even bring it even closer to home because it's my, and within, I'm 51 years old. So, and, and, and I, I alluded to this earlier, but in my childhood, I was maybe, and I said it was in the seventies, but it actually was in the eighties because I want to say I was 12, 13 years old. So this would be in, in 83, 84, where, um, my brother and I were told by the owners of a, um, an outdoor pool in the next little village over that we weren't welcome there yeah. specifically because we are black. They told us we and other people don't want to see you socializing at our pool with little white girls. Oh. Okay. Yeah, and I that's can, in, that's I in 1983, 1983, 84 in, uh, in uh, rural slash suburban Ohio. So, 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 so it's not exactly, so it's not an issue that we only had to deal with 400 years ago. This is an issue that, 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 you know, give me that. Okay. That I had to deal with that. And even if it stopped after that, if I was the last black man (laughs) to ever experience racism, (laughs) exactly. But if I was, it's still, it's still close enough in the historical spectrum to where it should be something that should be spoken about. Yeah. So for so yeah, these, it would be like now. Granted, no. I guess I can't. Merely, I, I won't make that comparison. But I, I will. I, I was going to say because I think with the Holocaust was a lot worse um, than obviously than what you had experienced. But I will say it, it is kind of like you can't deny people's lived experiences, right? I, I, I cannot deny no. what you experienced that day at the pool. And the, the emotions that you must have felt as a little kid to be told that, right? Because yeah. that is kind of like, you know, that's, that's world shattering, right? You can't just go to the pool and hang out with the other kids because right. you're what, somehow dirty or different right. or something, right? right. And, and, you know, I think part of that is that people um, have to learn to empathize, right? Like understand that I think the, I would say as a white person, maybe I'm wrong, but this is just my view. I would say the one thing is, you have to learn to empathize or understand other contexts and that that's your lived experience and that you should respect what the other person is telling you unless you have some kind of, unless what you're saying sounds super far-fetched yeah. or it sounds, or you have evidence that says that's not the case. Yeah, right? but you know what? When I say something like that to a lot of people, it sounds far-fetched. I've, I've, I've related that experience to people uh, and, and they just kind of roll their eyes and, and don't really have too much to say. And it's quite yeah. obvious they don't believe me. Um, yeah, I think maybe that's because, and I guess I can only again speak for myself, maybe that's because A, I understand the historical context, yeah. and then B, I didn't, have to, I didn't have to deal with racism from, like, from that perspective, but I say, I've seen it from the other perspective. I remember um, semi-famous story... <clears throat> I guess from my life in racism, uh, this was like in the early two thousands and I had a job in college. I worked at a park, right? Like a Naval museum. And uh, we used to take care of uh, ships. I used to do like, um, restoration work on these ships. And there were a couple of black guys, uh, that we worked with 
And something should have tipped me off as well because the other uh, one of the other black guys, his name was Jeff, right? So people at the the other people in the in the the company we worked at thought it was funny to say they called me white Jeff and they called him black Jeff. Oh. Right. <laughs> and I didn't think anything of it at the time because I was like, whatever. And actually they were okay with it. They kind of went with it too. Right. So, so that we could kind of know who we were talking about when we said Jeff. Right. Uh-huh. And they, I forget the other, I think the other guy's name was Daniel or something, but he, they told me, they're like, yeah, man, this place is pretty racist. You probably, cause we used to jump. They, I like them. They like me. We used to hang out. They're like, you probably don't want to hang out with us a lot because you're going to get in trouble, right? They're not going to like that you hang out with us. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? and I was like, dude, are you serious? Like, what? and again, this isn't Buffalo, mind you. Yeah. So we're not like, yeah. this is not Alabama. No. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, uh, I was like, dude, I, I thought that they were exaggerating that they were making this up. Right. And I will say, obviously not all white people in Buffalo are racist. That's not what I'm trying to say. No. no. But there are obviously some people there who unfortunately are racist, I will say, since I actually I grew up there and this is what happened with me. So they continue the story. I really didn't take what they said too serious. I thought that they kinda like yourself, I thought they were being hyperbolic. Yeah. Right. And um as the months went on I started to see things. But one specific event is we had a bunch of kids that came in from high school kids. The city had a program to help inner city kids get a job. Right. So there were a bunch of like Hispanic and African-American kids who came to work on the ship and they had to paint some part of the ship. I wasn't, I had to do something else. I was on another part of the ship. Jeff and the other gentlemen were there watching them. A black Jeff, I should say was there and the, he was watching the, I guess there's clarity to what I'm saying now. Uh-huh. And they were, they were, I guess they were supervising. Right. So obviously the, the, the guy, the main guy who ran the park was white and his son was there. It's like the number two. And he, he, he was white as well. He ran it, and there were obviously everyone who was in the administration staff was white. Again, I didn't think about this. I didn't think it was an issue. I just did it right. And um, even though both the black gentlemen had been there longer than them, yeah. right? Now, obviously, they had worked there for like twenty something years, right? Uh-huh. Whereas they, like the top guy, had only been there for five, right? But again, as a young man at that point, I wasn't taking those kinds of insights into the situation. I was just working there for the summer for money. Yeah. And at one point I started hearing yelling. So I walk over and there's some of the high school kids, they drop paint all over the place. It's a mess, right? The number two white guy comes over and says, Jeff, what the hell is going on here? Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm like, well, it looks like they dropped some paint. That's what it looks going on. He said, who's in, he said to me, and he was serious. He said, who's in charge here? And I said, oh, um, Jeff, uh-huh. right? Cause Jeff was the senior guy to me. He was like, no, Jeff is not in charge here. You're in charge here, right? And I said, well, Jeff's been here for 20 years. I, this is my summer job, right? He said to me, and I'm not joking. He was serious. He said to me, Jeff, you are a white man here. You are in charge. Oh, wow. Right? And he said, as long as you're colored people here and you're the white man here, you oh. are in charge. Let me tell you that right now. And I was like, I did it. Like, it was, you know, when, like, something car crashes or something in your yeah. head. Like, I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like, what is happening right now? You, right? Like, you're I not supposed know. to, you're not supposed to hear things like that. How do you, how yeah, do you exactly. Do and again, this is like 2002 or yeah. something like that. I, like, I'm like, I, what? And uh, yeah, I'm not supposed to hear something. I didn't know how to react to this. I didn't know. 
I was just kind of like, and then he kind of like, and then he, he, I guess he saw that I was shocked a little, then he like started joking with me a little bit. And he's like, listen, <sighs> like, you're the white guy in here. You're in charge. He's like, you got to watch them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh blah, blah, blah. God. Like, I, you know, and he went off on this whole, and I just, I didn't argue back because I was kind of still in like a little bit of shock about what was happening. This was actually happening. This is my life right now. And this guy is standing here telling me this. And, you know, and I was like, okay, I, I, and I was like, all right. And I, I, it was a weird, I remember like I, the bike ride home, I'm like, I just got in trouble because I wasn't <laughs> racist enough. Like I, I, what just happened, right? I wonder. So I guess, you know, when you tell me kind of experiences like that, that's why I, I kind of like, okay, I can believe that maybe yeah. more than other yeah. white people. Yeah. Cause I don't know. If other white people have been put in that position, you, you know, because because think think about this. Think about how many lives that guy affected negatively. Yeah, because that is the way he thinks. Yeah, you know, this him saying this to you is not the only time that came up in this guy's life. Oh yeah, think about yeah. how many people he uh, deals with. Think about how many people he has power over and think about what his attitude, that racist attitude can do and how it can affect people's lives. And that is institutional racism. People that is why institutional racism is a thing because people in positions of power like that guy or well, people in higher, much higher positions of power than that guy have a way of thinking like that. And they control people's lives. Yeah, and then I I saw he on another occasion. There, so there was like a girl that used to come and she'd take the tickets. Like yeah. a ticket girl. She was like a young Hispanic girl who used to come. And then uh, there was this other guy who I just couldn't stand. He was just, as a white guy who was like lazy. He's like the laziest people I ever know. He was in our crew. He never wanted to work. He never wanted to do what he wanted to do. But um, he he and I actually was I was friends with his sister, and he himself was a racist as well. And he told, he went to him, this number two guy, the same guy that told me that that day. And he's like, Hey, I don't want to do this job anymore, but I want a new job. Right. Talk about white privilege. And (laughs) we and the other guys in the crew with other white guys are like, dude, this guy should be fired. He is lazy. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to work. (laughs) Right. We all didn't like him. And his name was Adam. And, uh, he was like, so the Hispanic girl, she decided, now she did make a mistake. She, she should not have done this. She decided to leave 20 minutes early and she forged the, the logbook and said that she had left 20 minutes early. Okay. Right. Yeah. And he went in and, uh, he found this mistake. He found this, the thing he fired her on the spot and put this guy in this Adam guy and and gave him her job. Right. And he ended up working her job the rest of that summer. And I was like, dude, like, and and it was, Adam had made more egregious offenses than her on multiple occasions. He'd give us a job to do. Adam would just literally just sit in the, the workplace and just eat and like listen to music and would just wouldn't go. And it would just be us four that would do the job. Right. So he would just clear dereliction of duty. Right. And, you know, and this is how the, this is how they operated there. And I was like, and I kind of opened my eyes. I was like, okay, what Jeff and the other guy had told me that was that was the truth. This is how this place operates, and this yeah. is this is checked up. <laughs> and you know, so I guess coming from that experience, uh, that is why I think 
I'm more likely to believe this, but also going to your point where you said about, you know, he's affecting other, I was a young man. I mean, I wasn't super young, but I was still relatively young. Right. Yeah. And this guy is telling me this at this point in my life. Yeah. Who knows what he's telling his kids? Exactly. He's telling other kids. Exactly. Right. And the thing is, those kinds of ideas uh, get into people's heads, and then sure, it's hard sure. to deconstruct that. Sure, right? it is. because if that's what you're brought up on, think, I mean, that's think, your truth. Think about how the effect would be if that guy was in a supervisory position at a police department or the head of a police department, or a local politician, or a state politician, or in the, in the White House, you know? Yeah. What, what, what if, you know? And because we know, you just have to admit, it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, it doesn't matter who you are, you've got to admit that that guy is not the only guy in America who thinks like that. So then yeah. we, can, we can safely assume that people like him are in significant positions of power, and therein lie the roots of institutional racism. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, it's... it's um, Man, I could, you know, I, I could talk about this stuff forever, but I we do have to, <laughs> to wind this up. Um, yeah. My uh, my lovely family has peeked their heads in the door several times. Dinner is waiting. It's tacos. It's Taco Saturday nice. here in the in the household. Um, taco Saturdays in Norway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, actually, it's usually Taco Friday, but uh, but uh, I resist. I resist total integration into Norwegian society. So here it's tacos on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, tell people again the name of your podcast and where they can find you. Sure. So um, you can actually just look us up online if you want to. We have a website called the History of the Cold War Podcast. So if you Google History of the Cold War Podcast, we should come up. Um, or you can find us on iTunes or other platforms at just the History of the Cold War Podcast. Um, and we, like I said, I, I explore a lot of different issues in regards to history on that podcast. Obviously, most of it's based around the Cold War. Um, but we, I am currently doing a series of episodes on um, looking at the early civil rights movement. But beyond that, I, I, take, a, I take a step back um, to look at how racism developed in the West or what Western racism looks like. Um, obviously, racism looks like different parts, different ways in different parts of the world at different times. But I go into great detail explaining that, explaining Jim Crow, and also, obviously, and at this point, I'm, I'm starting to look at the early um, civil rights movement and what that looked like and how that developed and why, what are the connections there between the Cold War and civil rights? Because there might not seem to be a connection between those two subjects because they're often taught as two separate subjects, but they're actually very intertwined. Yes. And events yes. that were happening in the outside world affected what was happening domestically in the United States. And domestic events in the United States were having an impact on U.S. foreign policy. So I go into explaining that and how those events really brought about the end of, 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 of legal structural racism. There's obviously still elements of, of racism in American society, but those legal, the legal aspects of racism and then the scientific aspect of racism, which I wish we would have been able to have enough time to talk about, but maybe that's another conversation for another day. Oh, I'm going to have um, you back on for sure. I, I like this yeah. stuff, man. I like this stuff with you. So yeah, definitely. It's um, 
it's very enlightening. I think it can be enlightening for people who have sat uh, over the last couple hours and uh, and followed this conversation uh, because it, it's a sad fact that not everybody is aware of American history. Uh, it's a sad fact that people um, may have a certain amount of awareness of American history, but they choose, they willfully wipe away, brush away that that thread of American history that is uh, slavery, that is racism, that is contributions of black Americans to America. Um, I hope this yeah, conversation I has opened it, some eyes. And I think I, what I really want to say to those types of people, because I, I do meet those people, because they're, they're of the opinion of... Um, they're out there. Sort of like, oh, well, there's a bad story in there, then America must be bad. Yeah, right? you know. And, that, and, I, and, and I, I don't necessarily believe, I think you, those people, you have to understand that America, American history, the world in general is a complex place. It is, it um, is. And just because some bad things happen doesn't mean yes. that America is a horrible place. But you have to recognize that those bad things did happen and then how to correct those bad things or, or at least to acknowledge that, I mean, sometimes well, there's nothing we can do. They happened in the past, right? Um, but you can't just deny that they existed or try to give it's not only just, half the story. Yeah, and it's, and it's not only that, it's, but but this, this whole thing with slavery and racism, it happened uh, all of these years ago, uh, but it still affects us to this day Today. that's the yeah, thing it's still, and, I'll, and, I'll, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll say this to wind to wind things up to round it off um, you, you now I, I, I lost my thought well uh, no here, here it is here's what I'll say I'll say this to round things off you know you can you can ignore history uh, and that's your thing but when you ignore such a big part of history, it's not just your thing. You're actually contributing to that ignorance that grows like a cancer uh, in, in our society. And America is a, is a great nation. It's my favorite nation. I mean, I'm an American citizen. That's my country. But it can be better. It can yeah. be so much better if we just accept our history. Don't ignore it. Yeah. Don't try to whitewash it. Don't try to brush it away. Don't ignore it. Accept the history and let's learn from it. And it's going to guide us going forward to a better unity. That's my that's my closing yeah. sentiment. Yeah. I would just like to make one closing sentiment, just kind of building off of that. I would like to say that you may ignore history or be ignorant of it, but history is not ignoring you. It's impacting oh. your life every single day from the way people perceive you to where you live, everything else. So just remember that you may not be aware of the existence of history or you may be ignorant to it or you don't care, but that history is affecting you. So that's, quite, that's all I like. That's what I'd like to end on. Quite wisely stated by Jeff Hogue. Man, thanks. Thanks for these conversations. I, I, re I really appreciate you. I, I'm a, I'm a student of history, and um, you are obviously a student of history as well, and uh, you've made me a smarter person, and I hope, uh, I hope my listeners get on board with, um, 
with this sentiment that you know and i don't want this to be looked at as as a as an america bashing episode it's not that the sentiment is that um we can be a better america if we just acknowledge our history so jeff thank you so much for your contributions today thank you and yeah uh, thank you for inviting me i'm i'm I'd, I'd like to come back again in the future obviously there's so much more to talk about with this subject you are um, always welcome here like i said if it, if it wasn't for my dinner getting cold we'd still be talking <laughs> all right well let, let me let me end now so you can get back to you get to those good thank tacos. you thank you so much thanks a lot jeff okay bye right, everybody. i'll talk to you later thank you and goodbye